Let me just start <laughs> by uh, welcoming you all to Advocacy Arena, a place to bring awareness and solution-oriented focus to important societal issues. We're so glad you joined us in some good trouble and great conversation. Hopefully it will help to inform and inspire some civic engagement, coalition building and grassroots initiatives for change. So let's jump in. We will have a special guest with us today, Ashley, uh, Lauren Ashley, a concerned parent and education advocate from the great state of Texas. You'll be familiar, you may be familiar with the viral clip of hers uh, where she was gathering the newly appointed leaders in the Houston School District takeover. So we're looking forward to her um, joining us. And until then, I'm just going to give a, a kind of a highlight rundown of some of the news stories that I have been watching and that I feel like we, you know, should put on our radar and be aware of. POTUS is visiting um, Ma uh, Maui today. Uh, last week, he had a summit at Camp David, and um, we have a lot of climate crises that are affecting many of our states. California, of course, had the hurricane floods and an earthquake, and uh, Washington is dealing with some wildfires. Um, AI is continuing to present a problem. There are new lawsuits going on with them, and we want to talk about those more and more because... Um, it's going to affect us all. And um, I know many of you have not forgotten, and I certainly haven't, that um, the UPS um, changes that took place when DeJoy uh, was appointed um, is actually um, designed to destroy the the postal system and the results are already starting to um, be known and shown. So I'll be posting information in the Jumbotron and the Nest about these things um, later today. Um, and, um, you know, his, his program is working as it's planned. And I don't profess to know exactly why he's still there, but I hate that he is. It's, it's hurting us. Um, we want to celebrate uh, Fort Polk being renamed uh, Fort Johnson. I'll be posting a story about uh, the uh, person that it was. Okay, Ashley is here, so we're going to stop and bring her up. Ashley, I am sending you an invite. Look for a bar on the upper uh, top part of your screen to accept, and we'll be bringing you up to speaker, and we're going to dive right in um, with that, and then Mark will be here later to give us some indictment watch updates. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. Um, Ashley, did you see the invite? Let me see. We may be having this, um, you know, of course, it's Twitter, and Twitter is being um, Twitter, so, or X, whatever he wants to call it. Let me just send her a message and see. Um, Ashley, there is on the bottom of your phone some um, icons and there is one to the far left um, that is a mic. If you can click on that, uh, request to speak so I can bring you up um, because I don't know if you were able to see my uh, the request I sent out for you or not. And then over on the far right, there's an icon that's like a heart and it has um, a plus sign. Okay, she's here. All right, wonderful. Can you hear us, Ashley? And just hit the mic. Okay, uh, 
Yes. All right. So welcome. We can hear you. So I want you to just uh, take a moment to introduce yourself and share whatever information you would like to share about what's going on there in Texas. The floor is yours, my dear. Thank you. Um, sure. Thanks for having me. I'm actually um, in my car <laughs> driving, so hopefully um, the connection stays pretty strong. But hi, everyone. My name is Lauren. Um, my Lauren Ashley, but Lauren um, is, you know, what I go by. I am a parent. Um, I have two children in Houston ISD. Um, my background, you know, I've come from like a community organizing background, but really my involvement with what's going on with HISD in particular is just um, being a product of the district, having my children in schools that are NES aligned, which is the new system that um, Mike Miles is implementing um, at the moment, currently for 28 campuses, but um, has plans to expand, I think, to 150 in more than likely the entire um, school district. And so um, if, I don't know if, if how familiar everyone is with what's going on, but basically what has happened um, in Texas is that we have a law um, that was actually a bill that was authored and became a law by a moderate Democrat who, um, and there's a lot of political, you know, um, I guess political like rumors about what his actual intention was with this bill, but what it essentially did is give, is it gave the state of Texas power to take over any district that had one school um, that was failing based on the state metrics, which they kind of move around and bend, and they kind of kind of they, what they what they typically do is they'll have they'll use these state metrics and standards to kind of base and judge school districts on. Um, unfortunately, because of the political climate, they can adjust those and amend those as they see fit. And so, um, because HISD is a very large district for a very large cities at any for a very large city at any given time there's going to be one school based on that standard and based on that system that may be failing. And so um, this is something we've been, we have fought off before in the past this time around um, TEA was successful in its takeover. And so what that essentially did is it removed our elected school board who um, is charged with a number of things around like budget, but one of their most important jobs is hiring a superintendent. And so that elected school board was removed. It was replaced with a board of managers and um, who then, you know, approved the hiring of Mike Miles, who's our superintendent now. Um, the thing that, the biggest issue with Mike Miles is that for one, he comes from Dallas Independent School District, which is another large, another major city in Texas, um, was there about three years. So he did not finish out his, his full contract time. He um, just did not do a good job and the district wasn't any better off than when he got there. And he also is the CEO of a network of charter schools, which in for me and in my, in my personal opinion, this seems like a, con a huge conflict of interest. And so he's here now in Houston, um, pretty much, you know, really not accountable to the public because, you know, he's not hired by an elected school board. Um, from what we've seen so far, based on these previous school board meetings, the board of managers really is not there to be an accountability piece, more so kind of a rubber stamp um, his agenda. And so right now we're in a situation where we are kind of just, it feels like we're at the whim of 
whatever this guy wants to do. And so in those 28 schools that I mentioned earlier that are under this new education system where all of the current staff had to reapply for their jobs, those campuses will have their library shuttered. So at this point, their librarians have been fired um, or repurposed, and those libraries are being re repurposed for what they call testing centers, but essentially what they are, are going to be disciplinary detention centers for kids who are disruptive in class. Um, the biggest issue with that is obviously, you know, on its face, it's just literally the school's a prison pipeline, but we're talking about 28 schools that were critically under-resourced before the takeover um, and are going to be even worse off without a library on campus. And so with those 28 schools that are NES designated, there are schools within those feeder patterns that had the choice to opt in. So my children are at two campuses that chose to opt in to the NES system because they're able to pay teachers more. Um, there's some trade-offs that come with that. But the problem is they are also going to be held to that same standard. And so whereas those 28 schools didn't have a choice to fire their librarians, those NESC line schools don't necessarily have to, but they will comply um, to, you know, to get those benefits from the district. And so that was, you know, a very, very long winded kind of drawn out um, explanation, but that's kind of essentially what's going on. The work we're doing on the ground now is to try to organize and really just raise awareness um, about what's going on, organizing parents and community members to push back really to shed light. Um, you know, they say democracy dies in the dark. And so if nothing else, we really just want to be very clear with Mike Miles that while he was not, you know, hired by an elected school board, that, that doesn't mean the community is not going to find a way to hold him accountable. And as we've seen with the teacher convocation and how that was a huge mess and some of the national press around just um, some what I would call malfeasance, his response has been very, um, his response hasn't been very receptive to the criticism. And, 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 and I think he's getting an understanding of this is not gonna be as easy as he thought it was, but at the very same time, it's us kind of having to continue to beat the drum to get people to pay attention. Cause there is a lot of pushback on the other side that says, well, you know, HISD has had its problems. And to that, as a person who's a parent and a product, I will say, yes, I a hundred percent agree, but what we have lost is a right. And it's indicative of kind of the political climate in our state, but also what's happening nationally um, as we're seeing trends with just the dismantling of public education as a whole. And so I'll just pause there. Um, like I said, again, I can be a little wordy, but just wanted to kind of give a, a paint the picture as clearly as possible. Well, I think you did a fabulous job and I am so uh, thankful again for you agreeing, you know, to come and take a little time out of your day um, and just applaud you and the work that you're doing. I know uh, the people here in this community um, have been uh, fangirling you for quite some time. Um, they uh, loved the passion that they saw in your um, video and I wanted a, an opportunity for you to share your passion with us here. And also just to further um, highlight, because we talk a lot uh, and I know just for, you know, you and I had a brief conversation, but for those of you, this is, um, 
Lauren Ashley's first time in a space. So I am glad that it was ours. And I just wanted her to know that she had a lot of people who were of like minds, um, you know, who were doing the work in various different places. And um, if you guys, uh, anyone in the audience would like an opportunity to ask uh, ask Ash. Uh, Lauren, any questions, please, you know, request the mic, come up and do so. And we're just going to kind of continue our conversation around education. I think many of you may have already seen um, a post that I made on Saturday night, and I, I did another one yesterday about, you know, the desegregation history, because, you know, of course, part of this death by a thousand cuts of the education system is them taking away bits and pieces um, of the curriculum and one of them of course is history and that was one of the things on the list it, it, it sees i see that uh, arkansas has joined florida in attacking the um, ability for ap classes to be taught and um we need to, as I said, fight back. I'm so glad that Ashley, uh, Lauren is on the ground there in Houston fighting back. I see Shauna is in here. She's a, another Texan, and I know she's probably working, so I'm not sure if she um, has an opportunity to come up and speak or not, but I would love to hear from her. And um, we did have um, LMZ uh, come up, and I'm going to give her the floor and see if she has any uh, questions or comments. Um, can I, I just want to jump yes, in. Yes, yes, right Gwen. Please, please. I'm sorry. Speaker. Yes. Hi. No, that's okay. Hi. Um, this, I'm, I'm known on here as Soul Sister. My name is Gwen. I just wanted to let you know that I, that video was very inspiring um, because normally we don't see many of the mothers that look like you, D and I, standing at the mic taking uh, the school board to task over really, truly relevant um, arguments and uh, being sincere when we say we're trying to look out for our, the best interests of our children's education. And I know you posted, oh, it was probably a week or two ago, about um, people asking you to run for something. And I just want to co-sign on that, ma'am, and say uh, we would love to say, I, don't, I, I know real life has many responsibilities and obligations for you as a parent and um, a, probably a working mother, or even if you're not working, just the, just, just the pylon of, of everyday life can be a lot. But... Um, you have a strong community here, and um, like like uh, Dee has already pointed out, there are people in this space who um, are in Texas, and even those of us who aren't in Texas who um, want to support you and will be supporting you for whatever your endeavors are. I just want to thank you for um, being courageous enough, and I want you to I want to encourage you to keep it up. Uh, and I learned something that I had not known, which was about the librarians being fired. That was the craziest thing that, that I had never heard that until um, I read some articles that you were sharing. So anyway, just wanted to say hi and thank you so much for coming today. We've been really looking forward to hearing from you and thanks for taking the time to share your story. 
thank you so much. Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm so humbled. Um, when and when and indeed, thank you again for inviting me. When you reached out to me initially, I was like, oh, you want y'all y'all want to talk to me? Um, you know, and so I appreciate you holding this space and doing the work that you're doing to keep our you know keep people. I'm gonna say just our community nationally informed. I know this labor on your part, but also again, very humbled and. I'm grateful to be here and um, you know I, I haven't you know made any concrete plans yet but I will tell y'all to stay tuned stay tuned because if there is something like that I'm definitely gonna need y'all support so you know like I said stay tuned all right and so sister please forgive me I was just so anxious trying to make sure that she got in here comfortably and got off to a start I totally not a problem <laughs> not a problem I knew it D but I knew that once we got going I might not get an opportunity to say what I wanted to say before she had to go. And I wanted to make sure I took that moment. So thank you so much. And sorry to interrupt the schedule. I know you said LMZ was next. So um, I'm going to sit back and listen and enjoy this. All right. Well, LMZ. And then we have um, Q. And then uh, I'm bringing up Deshaun. So uh, LMZ, you have the floor, my dear. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you, Miss D and um, Soul Sister for the time. First of all, I want to uh, welcome you, Lauren Ashley, to um, your first space. Um, this is Advocacy Arena, like Miss D said, is held every Monday at um, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And she and Soul Sister are the wonderful hosts uh, where we try to make good trouble and um, fight for um, democracy and um, fight to keep um, fascism um, in all of its uh, different ways out of our country. And so the reason I wanted to come up just very quickly being uh, respectful of your time, Lauren Ashley, is that um, without centering myself in any way, I just want to share that my professional work um, is in advocacy um, every day. And um, my state is North Carolina, where we currently don't have a budget that should have been in place on July 1st. And every day that we don't have a budget is costing us an additional $42,000 a day. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons why we don't have a budget is that the Republicans are doing all that they can to defund the North Carolina public school system. There literally is a, uh, an effort to defund the North Carolina public school systems and go to charter schools. Yep. Well, you know, and you know what that's about, I'm sure, Lauren Ashley, and, and what that is and the, the racism behind that, um, the classism behind that. Um, and so it's a huge issue right now where uh, public school is going to start a week from today and uh, we don't have enough teachers. We don't have school social workers. We don't have the funding for our bus drivers. Uh, you know, I'm preaching to the choir and you. So I'm, I'm very aware, like I said, just not just because, uh, like I said, in my work, uh, 40 plus hours a week, I'm, I'm working on things that are directly related to what's happening Um similar to what you're facing there in Houston, Texas, where there are, where there is literally um, white supremacy every day. Um, and it has now seeped into back into um, our education, our public schools. Um, when you think about um, 
how far so many people have come in this country doing all they could all the way back to Thurgood Marshall on the Supreme Court when he was, you know, practicing as a, an attorney and the NAACP and the Supreme Court. And then he got on the Supreme Court and then Brown versus Board of Education. And it's not that long ago. And now here we are, Lauren, in 2023 and and people are having to fight every day so that children in our school can have the education that they're supposed to have. Um, and even the libraries, like you said, turning, I mean, the prison, the school to prison pipeline that they have in the audacity and caucasity to turn our libraries, which is, you know, freedom of education and where children can learn and imagine and be creative and learn about themselves and learn about other countries and places and our history, all of that. And so I say all of this to say that I want to honor and uplift you for the honest to God, and I'm a woman of faith, so I don't use his name in vain, the honest to God hero that you are for the work that you are doing. Because this is not the fight of some small little disagreement in one little school board someplace. This is literally the fight against white supremacy in our country that is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is the fight against fascism that is already here where they are, you know, deciding that they're going to not teach uh, the truth about African-American history. They're not going to teach the truth about all, all kinds of different histories, but African-American history is one of the main ones, and they're going to distort and lie about the truth of the horror of slavery in this country. And they're going to lie about um, all kinds of things. That is fascism. They're going to ban books. That is fascism. And for you to take your voice and stand up and do what you did, that is a hero. And there are so many Americans that watch this on the news or read about it real quick when they're scrolling by on social media and they say, well, why are they allowed to do get away with that? Why is that happening? Oh, that's such a mess. Blah, 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 blah. What can we do? Oh, I don't know. Why is that happening? And I don't get why they're allowed to get... Because you're not saying or doing anything about it. That's why it's allowed to happen. And you, Lauren Ashley of Houston, Texas, are on the grounds as a soldier fighting against it, saying, I'm not going to allow it to happen to my children and other people's children. I'm going to use the voice that I have to at least speak out and fight against it. And while we don't know which battles will win or which battles will lose, it's the point of doing something about it. When I saw the clip, when you started trending, I cried. Again, I'm not centering myself. I just need you to know I was that moved here, a stranger in North Carolina, to see you do what you did, that I cried. Because I watch the, what is happening across our country and see so few people have the courage and the voice that you have. I was moved to tears. Now, not everybody can, can verbally do necessarily what you did, 
But I come from a belief system that while everybody can't do everything, somebody can always do something for someone. And so I just want to honor you for the good work and the good trouble that you're getting in and know that we we support you here in advocacy arena please keep us updated on the things that you're doing if there's any way we can amplify what you're doing here on social media so that it can get some national attention and trending we'll be happy to do that but just know that you know this lmz in north carolina sees you is humbled by you is inspired by you and when my work um, can drain me and get me down. I see an advocate like you. I see an activist like you. And I am truly inspired. With that, I will land my plane. Thank you. Thank you wow. so much, LMC. Um, wow. <laughs> I told you, about to these people me, have I'm been... In, I'm, I'm in tears right now, seriously. I'm, I'm I told you, you to had like a focus. ready waiting wow. audience. <laughs> Okay, so with that, we're going to go to Q next. And if you guys can kind of keep it brief, because I'm not sure uh, Lauren Ashley said she only had a brief amount of time. And so if anyone has any questions of her, I want to, you know, have an opportunity for that. But Q is next and Sean is uh, the Sean is next. But I think she was having some connection problems. So um, if she comes back in, we'll get her up and then Dawn. Uh, Khalil and Shauna. And again, thank you guys so very much for being here and just being, you know, um, treating uh, Lauren Ashley with the love uh, that I knew you would. So Q, you're up next. I just want to say something again. Look at me jumping in again. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, there must be something about the name Lauren that is touched by a spirit because both of the Laurens that I have the honor of knowing LMZ, my bestie, and now uh, Lauren Ashley. I, 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 it, it, there's something about it that you guys inspire and continue to hold evil and destruction to the fire. So I just wanted to say that. Anyway, bye. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. I know it's like I'm trying to hold myself back because she is. She's very inspiring. And as I told you guys, passion is contagious. And so we've caught her fire and we're so glad she's here. So Q, you're next. And uh, then Dawn um, and Khalil and Shauna. And if uh, the Sean comes back, um, we'll get her in the uh, queue. So Q, thanks for being here. How are you today? I'm doing really good, Miss D and uh Soul Sister. Um I'm I am really glad that you all are having um uh, this space today because uh it exposes the rest of us um to what is going on in our country because um I'm not gonna lie, like I, I didn't know that education was um under attack like that in texas like i mean i had read some stories or anything uh, uh, things like that but um i didn't know that um black people and what we stand for are under that series of attack so um for lauren um the only question i have for you is how can i help I don't live in Texas. I live in Ohio, but I am um, very motivated um, to help causes around the country that I believe in. And I believe in your cause because you have made a very passionate um, 
statement on why you're doing what you're doing. So um, tell me how I can help remotely from here, here in Ohio, because we cannot let this go on. Because the thing about it is what happens in Texas is uh, transported all over the country because um, Texas has a historical context of writing uh, textbooks, um, designing curriculum, and they transport them around our country. So if they're doing that in Texas right now, we need to stop that so that it doesn't infect the rest of us, um, even though the rest of us are under attack, um, it, but it just doesn't sound as severe as what you're going through. So um, tell me how I can help. The, go ahead, Lauren. Lauren oh, um, thanks so much for that, Q. And so what I'm going to ask you guys to do, um, and this is not to like self-promote myself, but it's just to make sure that like y'all are following me um, so I can like direct y'all to what's going on when, and how y'all can help kind yes, of promote yes, me. But please do you. follow Houston CVPE. And Houston CVPE is the Community Voices for Public Education on the ground organizing their organization that I'm, I'm pretty very familiar with from my time when I used to work for the teachers union years ago um, but they're doing a lot of the the door knocking the block walking the really boots on the ground work to inform parents in our community about what's going on on. They have a petition that's going on and while the takeover has already happened we still are collecting signatures if nothing else to be able to show that people in the community are not okay with this because Mike Miles thing is and, and anytime people are trying to you know silence your voice they love to say well there's no dissent like and, and or the dissent is very small there's a few um, you know rabble rousers or troublemakers but generally for the most part people are happy about what's happening and so we really want to just you know Kind of like slavery had good had kinda, benefits. Kinda exactly <laughs> like that. What do they say if, you know, if you don't complain, they'll kill you um, and, and say that you enjoyed it. And so that's kind of where we are. And so we want to ring the alarm. Another thing um, that, you know, we asking people to do is share our post on social media. If you see posts from the Houston Chronicle or even national news outlets that are talking about the TA paper, um, please, you know, go a little bit further. Hey, Lauren Ashley, we're, you're getting a little garbly. I know you said you were in the car, so it might be oh, I'm sorry. like kind of a dead spot. Oh, now okay. you're you're clear. Okay, so continue. Okay. Yeah, I just want them to that. hear every word. <laughs> no problem. Go ahead, continue. Okay, I don't know if um, she just wanted to take a pause there. I'm going to continue with hands. She may be in kind of a little dead spot. Let's pick up with Dawn, then Khalil, uh, Shauna, and um, we'll we'll get her to chime back in. Her mic is on. Is she able to speak now? I can wait. Ms. Lauren? Hey, can y'all hear me? Okay, yes. sorry about that. I I, and I'll be really short. I was just going to say that I'm, I'll be sharing information about what's happening in some of our smaller um, rural areas in Texas and in, in, in suburban areas because what's happening in, out there is those parents, those conservative parents, those grad, those astroturf movements are really mobilized out there and they're doing the book banning. So while we're having our libraries ripped from us, there's the other side of this, you know, parental rights advocacy, um, astroturf movement around banning books. And so, you know, just really wanting people to understand, like you said, Q, if it's happening in Texas, it's going to happen everywhere. And I think what 
is unique about Houston ISD. When I say that we're the canary in the coal mine, it's not to say that statewide ta state takeovers of public districts haven't happened, but we haven't really seen this on this large of scale. And for these political implications, we know that it's about charter, um, you know, bringing more charters in and privatizing education. But what I don't want to be lost is we're also being punished. This is another example of our state punishing us. We also have about 18 judges, Democratic judges who were elected, who are being sued um, in Harris County by the people who they who they beat in an election. And those are some of the very same people who are supporting and funding this this HISD takeover. So while these things may not seem related, all of it's kind of connected. And it's really just a larger push to silence and punish cities like Houston that exist in these very, you know, large Republican states. And absolutely. And we talk about that a lot. And I want to give the speakers a chance, but I wanted to, to kind of draw some more, you know, current uh, connections, because I think I told you on the phone um, yesterday that um, it concerns me because people in our community knows that I've been talking about the education problem here in Tennessee for a long time. And I, it was very disturbing to me to learn. We just got a new education commissioner and she came from Texas. Okay. She has connections to Florida. The previous one we had came from there too. So you mm. think they're not bringing that, that, that same program here? They're doing it. They're moving the people around to the different areas where they want to do it. But again, like I said, I want to get to the speakers, but there is a very, very direct and visible connection. So um, we'll get more to that and I'll be posting about her. But yes, yeah, she is, uh, this new one is um, um, Latina, uh, but she's from Texas and her, um, uh, I'll give you the name. I'll have to find her name, but um, her husband is still, hasn't moved here yet. He's still in Texas and he actually is an advisor to the Texas government. So knowing that it is largely a GOP government in control there, that tells you everything. So, Wow. Uh, go, yeah. So go ahead, Don, and then um, Khalil. And Shauna, and Shauna, I'm so glad that you uh, had an, an opportunity in your day to come up uh, to join us, and um, we'll continue. Thank you so much, uh, Dee, and Social Zerbrose in the space, and thank you, uh, Lauren, for coming in today. Um, I don't know if I've, I'm one of the fangirls that uh, Dee talked about <laughs> earlier. Uh, we were on the phone on a Friday, and I was like, you got to see this girl. <laughs> so we were just going, and you were rotating, and we were looking at what's going on, but we were in the conversation um, with also uh, LMZ that is also in here about how they're destroying education. I am also a blue dot in between two red states, and it's been going on for years, uh, the assault on education. But I, I don't want to uh, spend too uh, long just talking about how if, as long as we destroy education, the punishment that you spoke to, it destroys the nation and they're coming after our children, especially when they see that there is a huge growing population of minority in the United States. So um, this is the only way that they can do it. And she is, has been an excellent advocate uh, for education and looking at what's going on in these red states, the assault, so they cannot compete with the rest of the nation. Um, 
So we just want to amplify you. Uh, we thank you for coming in here today. We are a close collective community, and we would love to see you again. I don't. I'm going to hurry up and rush real quick because I definitely want Shauna to get in here, who's in Texas, who leads uh, quite an online charge for phone banking and text banking, uh, and she's in the greater Dallas area. But I do uh, have a question for you. Do you see a future in politics? Because your brand is de is definitely needed for this time period right now, and I don't want to to put you on the spot but that is why uh, it hit so well that friday night endless rotations my love do you see a future in politics oh <laughs> so you know what um maybe a couple of weeks ago i would have said absolutely not and for a really really long time that's really just kind of been my my mo i'm like y'all i'm behind the scenes i just want i want government to function i want to be able to trust and have faith that the people that i vote for will do the job and, and advocate um but you know things happen this change it's always going to be into reason and i feel like if you keep hearing something over and over sometimes that's that's divine right it's not just my ego speaking and so i'll i'll say this stay tuned stay tuned stay tuned um, and that's precisely no. the reason miss lauren uh because you haven't been tainted by it yet it's pure passion and and, and work on the ground absolutely yes yeah, I, I want to be able to to do what is needed. And so whatever that takes shape in the form of, I just want to be where I need to be to make sure that people are getting what they need um, and, be, and are feeling advocated for and supported. And so if that looks like me holding office, if that's where I'm most effective, then sure. And so what I would say is regardless of what the decision is, I'm going to need support, whether it's, you know, taking on the school board, you know, the school board and the superintendent, or if I run for office. And so, again, you know, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. Right in front of me is really just trying to district, be an advocate for educators, and really just ring the alarm about what's happening here in Texas. Um, because I don't want, I don't, want people going through what we're going through right now and i think that's the other side the personal part of it i was like i'm not excited for my kids to go back to school right now i'm dreading what this year is going to entail and what this is going to look like and i hate that teachers are having to deal with this right now instead of being able to decorate their classrooms and be excited about what's happening um and so again like i said you know kind of looking directly in front i want to make sure that you know i'm helping bring attention to this movement, helping build some sustainability, because this is a long fight. This is a long fight we're in for. And I want, you know, folks to know that this is a marathon. We, this is not going to be a quick fix, but like I said, again, I'll say it again, stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. All and right. D-Man has one more quick question, but as sure. Shauna and Miss Lauren, I'm, I'm done. Um, Shauna had mentioned uh, in the space probably sometime last year, uh, when we were uh, during the midterms, uh, talking about the midterms, that, that uh, one of her polling places when she was in her greatest Dallas area was an actual library. Is that true of uh, the state of Texas? Mm -hmm. uh, most voting uh, venues are in libraries. So a lot. So we have a lot of uh, different venues that are used for polling places one place that i usually vote is at my children's school um and when i used to work for the teachers union so there was a time where you we were our voting like 
laws are still very strict. It's still very hard to vote in Texas. But in Harris County, we're able to vote anywhere in the county instead of like a specific place. And so when I was going to schools, a lot of time I would just pop into a school, do my visit and then vote on the way out. And so even thinking about that, for example, is something that's just up in the air. Um, because like I said, if you want to, you know, political control, there's a lot of things you can do to make voting inaccessible to people and this is one way um a lot of parents would utilize you know either the public library nearest to the school or they would pop in drop their kids off and vote like i would do for work so um that's a whole nother thing and with that if y'all are you know really want to get into the weeds about what's going on in harris county just google um you know harris county elections administrator like recently and i don't want to you know get too into the weeds in it because I don't want to um, say, any, say anything wrong here. But right now we're in a fight with our state because we're being like targeted. And it's, and it's literally just our county um, because we've had so many people like voting has kind of exploded here. You know, we're turning out larger and larger numbers of people coming out to vote. And so we're kind of getting spanked on the hand a little bit. And it's happened pretty much every legislative session since 2020 where we're having these different... Um, we're having voter accessibility kind of sh it's, it's shrinking here. And so right now our county is having to sue our state because they're trying to re remove the local official that oversees voting for our county and our county alone. So no other county in the state of Texas would have to comply with this law except for us. And it's literally because in 2020 we had one of the largest elections we had um, to, you know, the credit of my good friend, Chris Hollins, who was our county clerk at the time. We had 24 hour voting. We had extended voting hours. We had polling locations in places you had never seen. And we responded accordingly. We came out and voted in record numbers. And so literally since then we have been being popped on the hand. So saying all that to say too, that's another side of that to pay attention. If you remove people's right to make decisions, if you make it very hard for them to vote and say, Hey, this is what my voice is saying. It becomes really easier to roll back a whole host and a whole number of rights. Absolutely. And, and you know, what you're saying describes actually what the, the beginning stages of what they're doing here. And I can tell you, look for it, guys. I don't want to be right, but I can see this happening to the Shelby County school systems here in Tennessee. Why? Because it is largely African-American. And why? Because they've already started to do some of the things that Lauren Ashley talked about them doing. Uh, putting uh, laws in place, uh, basing their funding on meeting certain goals. And Ashley just dropped out. Hopefully she she will be able to uh, come back. She probably got to a, um, a place where she lost connection. But like I said, the things that they're doing are uh, very similar across state lines. And why are they similar? You guys already know. It's because these bills and these... Um, Methods have been churned out by ALEC. They are the bill mill and they may take shape differently in different locales and regions because of what's allowable there and the, the specific laws of that region. But make no mistakes, you know, this is their plan and they w they are continuing it and they will continue it. OK, Ashley is back. So, um all right, we're going to pick up. I'm going to interrupt the f 
the order just a little bit because Miss Sean, Deshaun was up. I'm going to go to Deshaun, then uh, Khalil and Shauna. Shauna, do you have time, my dear? Because I know that you worked it. Do you have uh, a little? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me get Deshaun, Khalil, and then you. Okay. Thank you guys for your patience and thank you for, you know, just being here today, uh, participating and supporting. So go ahead, Deshaun. I'm glad you were able to get reconnected. <laughs> thank you, D, for uh, uh, providing some assistance because I kept uh, getting kicked out and uh, I am super excited to be a part of uh, this particular space and to uh, hear from Lauren. And uh, I just, first of all, I want to thank you for speaking up. Um, I was initially concerned because I've been watching what's been happening uh, down in Houston. That led me down a, a rabbit hole. I said, oh, Lord. And that's all I kept saying was just, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And then I saw you. And I knew that uh, there was some hope. There's some hope because you told him the truth what's going to happen once you're gone after the destruction's over with what's going to happen once you're gone and my concern is um and uh q mentioned this is that if it happens one area it'll happen someplace else um my concern is that this is going to spread throughout the state of texas uh particularly with those districts um that have uh a large number of black and brown children. Um, and I do have family and friends that reside in Texas. And, and, and the rural areas too, because Lauren yes. sent me some great air, uh, articles on that, but go ahead. I, it looks and, like I lost my co-host, but she'll be <laughs> But it, so it's, I've spoken a previous space uh, about how this whole concept of school takeover began and it's just going to continue to balloon until we actually start speaking up and they're counting on us not speaking up because for let's just be very honest most people don't think that it concerns them until it does concern them um and so uh Wow, there's there's so much. <laughs> All right, well, don't go anywhere, Sean. Let me get to a couple of more speakers. Um, if you want to just kind of wind up there, but you you can certainly speak again. I just like I said, I'm not sure how long Ashley, uh, Lauren Ashley is going to have, and I want to you know get the other speakers, especially in case they have a question for. Her. That's okay. Oh, we lost her again. So, uh, Khalil, and then Sean. Hey, D. Um, it, I'm I'm fine with letting Sean go. Okay, um, Shauna. First. Okay. Oh, thank you, Shauna. Go ahead, sweetie. Shauna, I can oh, see. Yes, that. I'm here. Sorry. Okay, I, that's all right. I, but I know. I have to uh, close down for a second. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is being Twitter. So <laughs> it is. No. Um. No. I just want to say. Uh. First off, thank you so much. Um. I saw your clip too, and I was so inspired. Uh. Because. Here in Texas, you know, people think that no one's doing anything, and it's so nice to see uh, someone here from the state um, to know that um, that people here are still fighting. Because I see uh, things every day where uh, people think that this state uh, should secede from the other states and that we're a lost cause. 
And I have to kindly remind people that uh, in 2020, uh, this state had more votes for Biden-Harris um, um, besides uh, California. So there are people still here fighting and, and doing what needs to be done. So I'm um, just seeing what you were doing it was just a visual reminder that um, that we aren't here, you know, going down without a fight. So I appreciate everything that you're doing and what you have done and uh, what you'll continue to do. Um, I think um, what you were saying about it being a punishment, I remember, um, I think, yeah, after 2020, I know that Abbott was really upset about that close election with the with the judges and that they were going to start trying to interfere um, with with Houston. And so, yes, um, this definitely is a punishment. And um, I, I know that what they're trying here is going to, they're going to try it with DISD um, and they're going to try it with San Antonio and Bayard County. And so I just, um, you know, I'm definitely inspired by you. And um, what, what do you think should be done? Like, um, like in San Antonio or Dallas or like, what would you like recommend kind of like to keep this from going yeah um so i think as much as possible people being informed and being aware about what's going on i think overall people kind of um especially around like school board and school politics people tend to think well if i don't have a child in a district you know it's, it's not really it's not really my concern and i tell people all the time the way that our um, schools are funded, if you pay property taxes or you live somewhere where somebody's paying a property tax, you should be concerned. You know, th those are your tax dollars at work. Mm -hmm. um, and so us getting involved in like school board races, for example, the same way that conservatives have been able to build this AstroTurf movement. And again, I say this, this has been happening for decades. Like I remember being young, like in, in school myself, and I vaguely remember like George W. Bush coming out and like endorsing like a, in a school board race or like making a donation and it made like the news. And so when you think about kind of Alex and like somebody had posted a, a tweet earlier and even like the Koch brothers, you know, for example, kind of using like that dark, those, you know, them as examples dark of dark money. money. Mm hmm. They have all they have they have hedged their bets and realized our policies are not popular. So we are going to have to infiltrate at the lowest levels of government. Think about like school board races and even like in Texas, the railroad commissioner, every conservative statewide candidate and Republican um, office holder, for the most part, has started off as the railroad commissioner, virtually a position that nobody really even knows what they do. It has very little to do with the railroads. But from Ted Cruz, I think all the way to Greg Abbott, they've all been the railroad commissioner, right? So that's like a really important office we should be paying more attention to. But it's just one of those things, um, you know, the system that we're in, we are just pressed. We work 40 hours a week. We don't have a lot of time to be engaged. And so we kind of have to like really kind of see this as kind of like a crisis and we're playing defense like this is not the republican party of the 90s where you know your friends or your dad or you know might have a good friend that voted for bob Dole. right now we're in the middle of like a you know a cultural war and it, and it feels one-sided because we don't feel like you know we're angry about anything, but clearly there's folks on the other side that seek to roll back rights and benefit from us having a limited voice and for us to be marginalized. And so I think we have to really kind of connect all of those dots in a really um, in a in a real way and say, OK, 
why are these people so invested in banning books in these rural areas? And are these the same people that are really invested in taking over HISD? You know, and then thinking about, well, what does that mean? Who benefits from a school district being taken over, you know, on the front, like who on the front end, who makes money from that? Then on the back end, as much as we try to steer away from conspiracy theories, I do challenge people to think about who benefits from an undereducated populace. Like what industry can you think about on the top of your mind benefits from people not being literate, for example, right? Politically, for example, who benefits <laughs> from a undereducated populace, right? You know what I mean? And so when you think about even like Nazi Germany, they who did they start attacking before they were actually outright, you know, erasing and murdering people they went after arts and literature they went after the poets they went after the musicians they went after fine arts they went after the sciences you know when they were doing research on you know medical research on 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 gender non-conforming people way back then in the 30s and 40s that's who they went after and so when you look at our political climate now we're seeing in the same way where education is being attacked where people who you know don't exist within certain binaries are being attacked where our public's resources are being critically underfunded you know um and i tell people all the time you your budgets budgets show priority budgets are moral documents and so if you can show me where you are purposely deprioritizing education I can show you exactly the plan that you have for the people you know that you're overseeing and that's for them to not be very empowered and so I know again that's a very long-winded kind of like a roundabout answer but it's really us getting involved and staying involved and drawing the dots between why this local issue that's bothering me and that's a nuisance is actually part of a larger systemic thing, issue. And I also want to um, point out, too, that Austin ISD, if they have not been taken over by the state yet, they are on their way. And Austin is another example of a city. It's the capital of Texas, you know, kind of a blue dot in this big red um in this big red state, it's a, you know, a college town and it is a place where we are also seeing the shift in demographics because it's become so expensive to live there where a lot of our folks just don't have political power there. We're seeing them being pushed out of the city and we have to, like I say, again, draw those connections in who benefits from us not having a voice. Um, and that's just kind of like where it is. And I, like I said, again, I'm kind of nerdy. And so I, I, I'm probably making this way too wonky, but it no, really is you're part of a all very the large right points. <laughs> trend. No, thank you. And like I said, and I wish I could, I wish I would have told D before. I'm like, y'all, I talk way too much. I'm a little bit of a weirdo, but it's just because I've spent so much time like doing the work, but I'm also very close to the problem. Like it's not, I'm not coming in from, you know, from some book I read about organizing in, in school district takeovers, I'm literally living it. My daughter receives um, SPED accommodations. My baby is dyslexic. And Mike Miles, our superintendent, just got rid of about 20 um, contractors who provide those SPED services. So now I'm worried because it took us a really long time to get her those accommodations before the district was taken over. Now we have a superintendent who is actively cutting the resources that were already limited. So as a mother, I'm like, yeah, I have to stand in front of this guy from harming not just my child, but all the other children who need these services. Like my baby and my, my babies, by my, both my son and my daughter, 
are blessed. You know, we have the resources to fly them to the moon if we needed to make sure that they, you know, were getting adequate services. But for one, I shouldn't have to. The school in my neighborhood should be good enough. But two, I also think about those other children who don't have those same resources. What happens to them? What happens to a dyslexic black child in a class who's not able to understand what is on paper in front of them? What is their trajectory in life? Or have an advocate. Or have an advocate. Or have an advocate. And I say we talk about the school to prison pipeline. They have a plan for our children. It's not the plan that we want to see for our children. But I guarantee you, they have a plan for our kids. They absolutely do. And no, I love everything yes. that you're saying, because like I said, you're hitting all, all all the right points and it's important. And people, you know, I feel like I have been preaching, you know, to the choir and it's just nice to have some more, some new voices in who are, you know, kind of on the same page, so to speak. And, and I love that you understand and you speak to how the dark money is infiltrating this process and actually is behind it and is, is pressing it. So I'm going to continue with the hands uh thank you um thank you shauna and thanks khalil for giving shauna um an opportunity to go before you and now sir you have the mic and then uh bj is next and i know she's probably very very uh encouraged by all that she's hearing because bj is an educator so khalil and then bj thank you d and thank you um so sister for um you know, bringing us all together and uh, to uh, have this uh, really important uh, conversation to more than anything tell you how honored we are. Um, you know, uh, let me say, let me, I got to ask a question. Everyone is saying, um, everyone has, has, has um, called you at uh, Lauren Ashley. Like, is that the way, like when our mom and dad used to call us by our whole name? Are we calling you by your whole name? Is that so, so my mom actually wanted me to be called like my name is Lauren Ashley, like my is like a first name. Oh. And just as I, you know, was just like, oh, that's just, you know, weird. <laughs> um, and so when I got to school, I was just like, I'm just Lauren and Ashley is my middle name. And so I'm going to tell you like a silly story. So for some reason, when people see me, they see me and they literally just assume my name is Ashley without knowing that that's my middle name. They'll just say, you look like you look like an Ashley. And, you know, I'm an 80s baby. So every other girl around me was named Ashley. And so my mom passed in 2015. Um, and people that knew me, like at, that worked with her, you know, previously, people that are like in the sorority with me that knew her always have always referred to me as Lauren Ashley. Um, and so just kind of as a nod to her and a tribute to her. I just was like, you know what? I'm getting a little bit of attention. I got about 15 minutes of fame. I'll, I'll be Lauren Ashley for the world so my mom can smile down. And so that's kind of just where that comes from. Oh, that is incredibly, that's a wonderful um, acknowledgement of your mom and honor to your mom. And and I'm going to, uh, you know, yield to that and call you Lauren Ashley. Um, what a what a wonderful story. Um I, you know, I, there's so much that I want to say to you, uh, I'm, you know, but I'm going to be relatively brief. I just want you to know how much we we, we respect um, you making, you know, challenging the system as you are doing it. Um, the way you're, the voice that you have is just so incredible. And I thought just that watching that video that your voice was, was powerful, but just listening to you today, I'm like, Wow. And, and, and I could see why people are 
trying to encourage you to to go forward um, to to perhaps uh, become you know go into politics um, uh, because again you have just a you know such a wonderful appreciation such a deep understanding of what the issues and challenges are in doing this third reconstruction and you know I I'm not sure I you know those of us who've been doing this for a little bit we recognize this as a third reconstruction that's the you know the first one was after reconstruction the second one was you know uh, after Brown versus Board of Education up until Dr. King was killed and then the third one has often been identified as the one after Obama's election uh, you know, we have this whole period between 68 and, and, and Obama's election that, um, you know, we were still trying to find our way and trying to get ourselves back on track to or move ourselves forward. Um, and unfortunately, we became really fragmented. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion. But what I am want to say to you is you are really part of, I mean, an incredible part of a legacy. I just so so happy to hear your voice as it as it appears and I'm an old head I'm a segregation baby so you know I'm always looking for these voices I spend a lot of my time trying to nurture these voices um, in my community and even on this app um, because I I do believe we're part of a third reconstruction and you really are such a symbol of that that's why we so we gravitated towards you it you know, it's, it's not just what you were saying, um, but it's the way you were saying it. And, you know, the people that we're dealing with, there's a boldness about them that um, we haven't seen since the 60s. Um, unfortunately, because of the former guy, we've gotten these, you know, the, these forces have decided that they know they can't win on the issues, so they decided to cheat, lie, steal, all the things that a great case of a projection because everything they accuse us of, they do. Um, and I just want you to know that, you know, again, coming from an old head, that how much, uh, and I don't, I, I, based on how I just listened to you speak, I'm sure you recognize it, but you really are part of a legacy. And we didn't have these voices back when I was young. We couldn't, we had these voices, excuse me, we didn't have the ability to amplify them as we do now. And one of the reasons I so appreciate Dee and Soul Sister is because they did, they, that's what they're doing. They're using the tools that's available to us to amplify voices such as yours. And while, you know, many of us do not live in Texas that you're listening to and talking to and listening to you today, what we are, what we are though is part of a community that people like Dee and Soul Sister uh, are are um, caretaking, you know, and um, we this medium allows us for all this. Issue. Can you still hear me? Oh, cool. Okay. Yes, now we can. You know, mm-hmm. it allows us to talk to people from all over the country, which is just for an old head like me. It's something that I never like to discount. Um, that I'm talking to people from everywhere, all over the world, um, and. And being able, letting them hear you, letting them see beyond your 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 video, um, who you are, letting them hear your voice, and and um, it's just really important to us right now, 
You know, um, you pointed out, that, and others have pointed out as well, this is not a, an isolated incident. Um, what they've been doing in Texas, they've been quite bold about, thanks to Shauna, we, we've been on top of it. You know, she tells us and shares with us and others in Texas, you know, what, all, what a lot of the challenges are. And as a result, we're pretty familiar with it, not as intimately as you, of course, but pretty familiar with it. And, you know, everybody from Paxton to to, to the governor, um, um, you know, there's, look, the, there, there are about seven or eight states, Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, Georgia, Mississippi, um, uh, Arkansas, um, and I'm forgetting one other one, but they're really like the, the foundation for white conservatism. I mean, these states, they, they plant their flags there. And so as a result, you're a part of that. And so your fight is even more intense than it is in other places. So I don't want you to discount your voice. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying I think you should run. I think that's a decision, a very, very, uh, decision you have to make, very personal one. Uh, but as you pointed out, there are other ways to be engaged and involved in this process. You show that already, you know, and so I am just so, um, uh, I'm a fanboy, um, you know, uh, of what you try to do, what you're trying to do, what you're part of, what you're leading. And yes, ma'am, you're leading, whether, you know, as humble as you are, you are leading, you know, and, you know, and I just want you to know how much we appreciate you. And so um, you're part of that third reconstruction. And and as a result, um, old heads like me and V is not an old head like me, but yeah. I'm close, Khalil. Um, we're we're in the same yeah, boat. Well, <laughs> I would say, you know, uh, be people like us who have seen things um, really are heartened by young women, young people like you. Uh, and we won't even talk about the legacy of black women that you are proudly representing. I mean, it's just you, just outstanding. So, thank you so much for taking some time from uh, from your busy day to come and share with us to participate in our community, even for a short time. Because what's missing from our what what we want to make sure is happening, and again, Dee and So Sister are doing that. So, making sure we expose people to what's happening in our community, and it's not it doesn't get that kind of exposure. Um, you know, and and uh, you are a symbol of what we're capable of doing, and we want other people as far beyond Texas to understand that you know you are not you you you're part of that group that's saying you know um, we ain't putting up with it anymore. We're not. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, D. Thank. Thank you, Soul Sister, for the time for putting us together for bringing us together i don't normally get to get here get here in the afternoon but the minute i heard that um ashley um lauren ashley was going to participate i said look i gotta go and listen um and but i didn't want to go leave without um being able to tell you how proud if you don't mind me saying we are and i know your mom is very proud of you thank you 
Thank you, Khalil. And that's that's beautiful. Um, second, everything that you said. And, and yes, as you said, we're old heads. I, we, I am a segregationist baby like Khalil. And, um, you know, we have a couple of more speakers, BJ and then Mark. And, you know, again, I want you guys to really look at the story of uh, Clinton, Tennessee and Oak Ridge. And, you know, Lauren, you know, kind of... Um, spoke to the fact that she's aware that these things didn't just start again why history is so important why it is so important for us to be um, great advocates for the things um, that we are happening in our community that are affecting us or or others in our community as lauren ashley pointed to you may not have a child in the school system, but you're probably paying property taxes. So it, it affects you. And it's important that we all um, understand uh, those connections and that we all work uh, to do what we can because ultimately their plan uh, amongst many other things, it is definitely not to embolden um, or better our democracy. It is really quite the opposite. They are basically a, an authoritarian party. And as Lauren Ashley pointed out, uh, the reason that they're taking over these areas are, are because they're easy. You know, the railroad commissioner and the local school board and the librarian, but they're getting into areas of power. And make no mistake, they're looking at the ones w where definitely there is um, a strong um, democratic voice and base there. Remember what they did here just recently in Nashville, uh, again, this is a red state, but Nashville, the city itself, is very blue, as is Memphis. It, it's um, We had a city council of 40, and they just arbitrarily cut it down to 20, again, taking away our voice. This, after they had already redistricted you know, the city, which had never been done in the history um, of the state. And so just... Keep your head on a swivel, guys, and I'm going to keep moving. Going to go to BJ and then Mark um, um, and um, Stephen. Um, Mark, because I know that we want you, I know you're probably going to chime in on this, and I hope you do, but also some legal stuff. If you don't mind, can I let Stephen, who's an educator, go after BJ and then you so we can kind of keep it, you know, kind of together? All right. Thank you. So BJ, then Steve and Mark. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Dee and Soul Sister and everyone in the room. Um, I just learned about Lauren Ashley, and I'm extremely proud of you. Um, I am an, a retired teacher. I've taught for 25 years and sub for three years in special ed, general ed, all at the elementary level. And my reason for going into education with um, a pre-med background was because my son is intellectually challenged and I had to be an advocate for him. So I have my master's in special education. Um, my goal is to, I'm, I'm going to start working um, or volunteering or doing whatever I can with the school board because I'm in Virginia and Glenn Youngkin is a Trumper, and he distanced himself when he won the election so that people were fooled and they voted him in, which is what happened. Um, 
but I knew that he was a Trumper all along. Um, so my goal is to start working um, at the school board level, volunteering or whatever, getting more information so that I can make sure, because this is spreading, just like you said, I don't want that here in Virginia. I don't want it anywhere in the United States. If the way they are cheating to take away our voice and our vote, their plan is this Project 2025. If any Republican, any Republican, it doesn't have to be Trump or DeSantis, any Republican, get in office. Our voices, our vote is gone. And, and Vivek is actually verbalizing their 2025 project. I mean, he's talking exactly. about getting rid of people. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, they put it on Twitter. And then we have this situation with Mr. Musk. Who knows what side of the fence he's on? It seems like he's teeter-tottering and the trust is just not there. So all of this is all coming together in a nice form to eliminate us. And I'm speaking of black, brown, marginalized people. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not. I work too damn hard to help my son and students that were like him and the general population. I bust my butt to make sure my students who were in Title I schools to learn and apply and research and read and write and calculate, I am not going to stand by and let that happen. I'm just not. And no, nope, we're not point, going back. I land my plane. Thank you. And I appreciate that, BJ. We're not going back because uh, I love what Lauren Ashley said. I have um, felt that very way uh, for some time in my advocacy work, like some of the things that I advocate for and I'm concerned about. Yes, they touch me, but I may be able to handle them for myself. But I think about the people who are out there who don't have advocates. And that is also why, you know, I love that we can come together and to talk about these things so we can all be advocates and kind of, um, as they uh, used to say, um, kind of uh, be um, fill in the gap and be a bridge uh, for those who don't have that kind of advocacy personally to rely on. So thank you again so much, BJ. And again, honored by your presence and, and your work. And I have another wonderful voice that I love to hear from who is an educator. Um, uh, Stephen is next, and then Mark. Hello, Dee. Hello, Soul Sister. Hello, Miss Lauren Ashley. I'm so honored to be speaking with you. Thank you all for having the space. Thank you, Mark, for uh, letting me skip you. I'll try to be brief. Uh, I just want I want to join the chorus, thanking you and and honoring you for honoring us with your presence. Uh, I also want to apologize. I have not watched the viral video. I have been traveling. I've been with family. I'm down south. I'm from New York, but I'm in South Carolina. So I'm like all out of sorts. I'm in a red state, and I'm like always, you know. Keep your I'm, head on a swivel, Stephen. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> you know, I'm safe, but, um, you know, I worry about what's going on down here. So it's a weird, weird experience being a New Yorker. 
down here. Uh, so I can't imagine what you go through all the time <laughs> and, and what you've had to be up against. But even for New York, I recognize the the tale you're telling about, you know, starting with the um, low levels of government and working their way up. And they've just had this 30, 50 year plan to infiltrate and then take over and, uh, you know, quietly um, rise up the ranks and uh, even on the college campuses it's bizarre to see it happen and now it's uh, it's really played um, to, to a much higher degree than we I could have imagined uh, the slow rise of the right wing and I wanted to ask you if this is maybe not a maybe this is a rhetorical question but uh, I hope you're taking care of yourself are you taking care of yourself and you just you sound so strong and you're just so impressive it's like you're a superhero and I, I just never want you know we're all human so I just want to make sure that we're all asking you like go run for president you know, do all this stuff and you know just make sure that you've got the support because you know I don't know you but I don't want you to burn out either <laughs> so I hope that you've got your self-care in place and you've got your community and your team and and um, you know you're taking your vitamins and drinking your water and taking Taking your rest time uh, because uh, you know you deserve it. And uh, this is my, my my real question was um, a complicated one. You know, I, I've been a teacher and I've worked in a charter school. I opened a charter school in New York City and did that out of desperation because as a teacher in the district school system, I couldn't teach the way I felt was appropriate, and my families were not their needs weren't being met and it wasn't you know it wasn't the right wing it was just the entrenched bureaucracy and decades of uh, kind of decay uh, probably from a lack of um, care and support and funding that you know you're talking about now is happening in a very like direct attack we didn't have that in new york we just had this decay and so you had thousands even hundreds of thousands in new york of black families opting out of the system because their neighborhood schools weren't working for them I saw what that looked like. That looked like racist people allowed to teach in classrooms, going unchecked, harming children. And so the balance of, well, how do you um, advocate for change and at the same time tell a family, well, no, don't go over there where they're making these shiny promises because, um, you know, they, they don't have their best interest of your child in mind. But, you know, in New York, we've got this chain of charter schools called Success Academy, which is, you know, does things to children that I would never... Um, think any parent would allow, and yet hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of parents have chosen to keep their kids in those schools. So I, I guess the question is, you know, balancing the complexity of um, clearly not wanting to get in bed with people who are harming children, but also recognizing the challenges that they are using as a weapon to break down the system further. And, you know, do you find that there are parents who um, in, and I've, I've taught briefly in Houston. I was uh, tra trained as a teacher 25 years ago. I taught at Cage Elementary School. I'm not even sure if it's still open. I know it was really badly damaged by one of the floods, one of the hurricanes. But um, So I, I, I was challenging then, and I'm sure it's challenging now. Uh, do you find that there's a complexity to it where there are real problems, and you find that these right-wingers who are bad-faith actors are using the issues in the schools as a wedge to try and enact their agenda, you know, now it's clear what, how directly harmful it is. But, you know, along the years in my work, um, they made some good promises and said nice things that, uh, you know, are not, not the case now. Just want to hear a reaction, and I'll be quiet and go back to listener. Thank you so much again for your time. 
Um, and thank you for that. That's a really thoughtful question. And it's something I struggle with. So to your first question, I'll say, no, I'm not doing the best job of self-care. Um, so much recently so that I looked up one day and I was like, oh, I've only had like two matcha lattes for meals. I need to probably like eat something. Um, so I'm, I'm, do, I'm, I'm trying my best to do better. And that's just like, organizer stuff like I'm literally I take care of everybody else and, and not myself and I have to learn to put my mask on first so thank and you I'm for, so uh, glad that he that. said that <laughs> <laughs> no no I, I no I'm very thankful because it's really something that I I, I, I'm, I I need to get better at um but your second question in point was is something that I, I, I struggle with right and so what I so this is this is my mindset so like I'm from Third Ward, right? That's a, a, a black um, neighborhood in Houston, one of the oldest historic areas. Um, and so when people think of like black neighborhoods, a lot of times you just think of the hood. And so what I tell people, if you haven't been in the hood, you don't understand the hood. The hood is not a monolith. We have some really affluent areas and families within certain parts, depending on how your city is structured. And then we have some very, very, you know, um, under-resourced, intentionally kind of neglected areas and so for me I grew up as one of those like I come from a I'm not trying to be funny but I come from a bougie black family I grew up in Jack and Jill um but my parents were older and so they had both experienced different forms of educational segregation my father being a child in East Texas my mother actually um my grandmother was a teacher she integrated a, uh, helped integrate a school here in Houston called Sherman Elementary and so my mother had to go to school with where her mother was a teacher at and so she had to deal with her own forms, um, you know, of discrimination. And so they were just very intentional about like, yeah, we could bust you across town. We could pay for private school. But, you know, for one, these schools are in our neighborhood Two, you know, these are our sorority sisters, our fraternity brothers who are the teachers and administrators in these schools. We're going to put you with people that look like you and people we know. And so that's why I went to school in, you know, in my neighborhood. And so at a very early age, I knew, you know, I kind of figured out my life is a little different from my friends. There are some things that are easier for me, some things I have access to that, you know, for whatever reason, my friends don't. And having that perspective is the reason why I'm so intentional about putting my kids in our neighborhood schools. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't come with a sacrifice, right? So my son is both of my children are brilliant, but my son is one of those textbook straight A students. You know, he's AP, so his GPA is super high. He tests really well. And no parent should have to be a martyr. But I literally tell people, I was like, yeah, I don't want to bust my kid across town at 5 a.m. But also a, a little part of me knows that teacher needs my kid in her class because she knows at, at the very least that's one guaranteed kid that's going to pass. And not to put us on a, a pedestal to say that we're just really great parents or anything, but, you know, we are pretty nerdy and we've learned how to beat tests pretty early. That's just something I've always been good at and my kids have acquired that same skill. Saying all of that to say, I put my children in our neighborhood schools at a sacrifice because I know that I can supplement and supplant a little bit what they're going to miss out on. There's not a lot of drama and music happening in the hood. That's okay. I'm going to put you in a program over the summer. I'm going to pay for some music classes. I have friends who have kids. Where I'm, I'm a young mom. I'm 35. My son is 16. My oldest child is 16. They are not going to make those same decisions because they don't have that same level of access, resource, or political analysis. What they're able to say is this school in my neighborhood is not offering what I think my kids should have. I'm putting them on a bus or I'm sending them to a charter. I cannot fault 
an individual from making a decision that they think is the best for their child. I don't agree with it because for one, I have the privilege and the time to read books and walk out and be nerdy and understand that this is a part of a larger systemic problem. Two, I know that, like I said, again, I have the resources to fill in some of those gaps. What has always bothered me about this, though, is when you look around Houston, for example, charter schools are literally kind of only in the neighborhoods that we're in. You don't see a lot of KIPs in some of these other charter schools in affluent areas. They intentionally build next door, across the street, down the street from schools that, you know, have some of the lower test scores or are under enrolled. And so when you have had like what we call, you know, finger quotes, benign neglect happening for decades, these schools are self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, the test scores aren't great. Yeah, they are under enrolled because instead of the state of Texas saying we're going to make sure that all of these schools are adequately, adequately resourced, we're going to do this thing called school choice. So yeah, you know, the school in third ward might be crap, but guess what? You can bust your kid across town. What does that do? It leaves our schools and our neighborhoods even more under-resourced, but then it also creates this problem for those people in those affluent schools that say, hey, we don't want all these kids from out of the neighborhood coming to our schools. So what do they do? They scrape up their dollars and they put their kids in private schools or they support politicians like Greg Abbott, our governor, who's been on tour like Beyonce for the better part of a year, going to these affluent communities and saying, hey, wouldn't you like an $8,000 voucher to put your kid in private school? So parents get all of these messages about how terrible our public schools are and how much better these charter and private schools are. As a person who loves your child, you're going to try to make that best decision. I mean, real estate agents literally sell homes based off how good the schools are in the area. So there's, you know, there's a whole political, you know, there's a whole political reason around why you want to have test scores in these statewide standard systems where you can be able to like say, hey, look, the schools in this neighborhood are good. Come build a house out here. Come live out here. So like I said, again, saying all of that and understanding the real challenges that parents are faced with, it is hard for me to be so, so critical of individuals making choices. My problem is truly with the system because of what has been allowed to happen for so long. Like these schools just didn't become this way overnight. When my mom was a student at my high school, it was over-enrolled. The band had, you know, 300 kids in it. We, you know, the, it, was a, it was a vibrant community school. Jack Yates was a premier, you know, high school in third ward. It looks very different now that my child is a student there because of just what has happened over time. And so, again, like I said, I don't fault people who go in with the best intentions to say this system is not working. I'm going to create something better to serve the families or individually as a parent. I'm going to do the best thing for my child. I think what we have to try to do a better job is, is really helping people develop the political analysis to say, look, if all of us in our neighborhood send our kids to this school here, then we have a little bit more control and say so over what's going on and we can advocate and we can stand in the gap. 
why that's hard is because you don't want to have to be a martyr. You don't want to have to be an activist, a parent. You just want to be able to wake up, take your kids to the to the school in your neighborhood, hope for the best, and then go on about your life. And so you're asking parents who are invested in their child individually to be, you know, community advocates, and that's really hard. And so... Again, like I said, I'm being very long-winded because this is stuff that I've been shouting from the roof house for a long time, kind of into the void, and now I have an audience. Um, but it, that's that's what it is. And I think a lot of people who teach at charter schools, a lot of people who start these schools, really do so with the best intention. They really want to, um, you know, impart wisdom in a child and really instill a love for learning. But because I have to always think about what happens to the kid who can't be in the charter school, that child who needs services, that child who's a behavioral problem. They're not going to be able to be in a charter school. A charter school doesn't have to accept them. So what happens when they're in their community neighborhood public school that's also under-resourced? They don't fare that well either. And so I'm always thinking about who slips in the cracks. I'm always thinking about the most marginalized people who don't have those options. Um, but again, thank you for being a teacher. Thank you for your service. And really thank you for thinking about a solution to a problem that you should not have had to fix. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful question, Stephen, and a beautiful answer, um, Lauren Ashley, because I, I think about it too. Because it, as you said, we all want the best for our kids. And sometimes I'm not going to get mad at someone who is making a decision that is in the best interest of their child. But, you know, us being aware of how it affects our overall community is important. And sometimes what happens in, in my research and some of these uh, charters and vouchers, because see, we're in, we're in the beginning full swing mode now, because you know, our governor made in his state of the state address last year, this was his priority, partnering with Hillsdale College. And yes, you wanna talk about KIPP, you know, charter schools and stuff and where they're placed yeah so um he he announced this this was part of his state of the state address and um he went on tour with the founder of that network school the hillsdale charter network school and it was only because of some faux pas that this hillsdale representative made uh in saying things actually disparaging Tennessee educators and the school and it got you know kind of amplified and they uh, kind of pulled back a little bit because what they also did and this is where your power you see your power being taken away because when he made that state of the un uh, state of the state uh, address uh, announcing that he was partnering with Hillsdale and he wanted a um, hundred charter schools, uh, new charter schools here in Tennessee. Keep in mind, Betsy DeVos moved here too. And so she's one of his cheerleaders too, advocating for not only charter schools, but religious, you know, charter schools. So the instituted also a commission uh, that was appointed by the governor, okay? So these charter schools have to get permission to go into these different districts. And so when several districts said, no, we don't want you here, the charter school went to the commission to get it overturned. And they were about to do that until there was a lot of uproar. And some of that 
uproar came from Republican counties because they recognized that their own voice was being taken mm -hmm. away. So I just, yeah, I just wanted to, to thank you for, you know, like speaking to it so eloquently and, and pointing out the fact that's the that these charter schools are placed in low income areas and communities on purpose. And that's the interesting thing about too, where we, where we see, um, where we say politics makes strange bedfellows because a lot of the pushback against vouchers here in Texas has come from these smaller rural areas, these rural districts, because the school district, like any government entity, is the largest employer in town. Most people work for the district in some capacity, either in as an instructional staff person, cafeteria, whatever. And so they know for sure if those vouchers are, are implemented and people have the option to pull their kids and go other places that's going to affect their bottom line and that's going to affect their local economy and another example where i've seen you know this happen is when um, i work for the union and our governor as a way to get rid of the teachers union because the teachers union stands in front of a lot of this public education dismantling people think oh they just are you know there to defend the, their jobs but a lot of what they do is advocacy for students and so to get rid of the teachers union as as, as the thorn in his side he was willing to sign a bill that basically removed payroll deductions for anybody who was in a union and that's the way that's the easiest way to pay into the union is for it to come directly out of your checks what saved us at that time was so many rural um superintendents from schools and other public employers that said hey Please leave payroll deduction alone. We already have a hard time recruiting talent against the larger cities. If they don't have union protection, these people won't come out to these small areas to work. They won't come out here to teach. And so that's always interesting to see how when we talk about um, politics, for example, where even conservative constituents aren't getting what they need because these folks don't answer to their own constituents. They answer to a dollar. They answer to the bottom line. And that's why culture wars are so important to the Republican platform, because they know a lot of their policies just don't work for working people. But what they can get you riled up about is abortion rights or they can get you riled up about worrying about, you know, trans people playing sports, because that's something that, you know, you might have some type of whatever feeling about but they know on its face these policies that they support around public education around working class um, people just doesn't resonate even with their own base and so that's another reason why I do so much work in the community to really push back against some of those issues that seem unrelated. And I ask people, I said, let me tell you, before you get on your high horse about your religion or whatever you think, I want you to be very mindful of who's making your life hard. Don't give me a, a, a culture war boogeyman that you probably never even interacted with. I want you to think about why you'll be working till you're 85, probably as a Walmart greeter because we don't have pensions or defined benefit plans. And think about who's actually causing you harm and why they want you to be mad at something or somebody that has no bearing over your life. Absolutely. And that is a very good question to put to people who, as you said, bring up these um, straw boogeymen that, you know, they have created for the culture war that they're stirring. So um, it has been such a wonderful conversation today. I knew it would be when you were here. I was so excited and I'm very excited to hear from our next speaker who 
keeps us up to date and grounded in the legal things that are going on. So without further ado, I am going to turn it over to our um, um, advocacy arena legal expert, <laughs> Mark. Um, you have the floor. <laughs> well, uh, yes. thank you for uh, that introduction. And thank you for having me, uh, DM So Sister. I actually have a question for you, Miss um, Lauren Ashley, um, from Houston, Texas, like my family. Um, third Ward, as a matter of fact way back um the, i'm going to talk about the uh legal remedies or, or whether they've been exhausted or not um i i know that the supreme court recently decided that uh, the uh texas education agency can do what they did and take over uh the houston school district um because of a uh, I, my understanding is it was one failing school uh, mm -hmm. you know the, the district had improved overall from 2019 which was their first attempt, and it's based upon a law that had changed in 2015, where if one school was failing, they could take over. And they failed in 2019. So my first question is, what was the difference since the law was from 2015? How did how were we be victorious in 2019 and not in 2023? Is, is it just because that one judge was appointed? That's my first question. The second question is, are there any other legal remedies that you and your team are exploring in addition to all the other stuff that you're doing on the ground? Is there any anything anything that can be done as far as law, especially if any changes they make to the school district now as far as curriculum do not have a logical nexus to actual test scores being improved? For instance, like if they want to change the black history curriculum like Florida did, how was that connected to the reason why they took over anyway? You understand the question? Yeah. Um, and so to, to that point. Um, and so I just kind of want to, you know, say this, the school that was in question that was failing actually had improved their standing as well. But most in our most recent legislate legislative session, they changed those requirements again on how we judge schools. So so without any changes to the school itself, just based on this system that we're using, schools that were like B, for example, will probably be ranked as a C now. Now, like I say, the kids, the test scores, nothing has changed but the, the metrics. And that's something that has happened over time. Um, they, Like I said before, they play with those to kind of be able to create this narrative around, you know, this fail, these failing schools. And so I think um, to your point about what's different now is, like I had said before, our governor has been on tour, literally on tour, and I'm not exaggerating. He's been going to different private schools and different um, affluent communities and basically um, having like these rallies in town halls to get parents on board with vouchers um, and to get them to, to call their, their legislators and demand vouchers because there's not a lot of political will on either side, but even on his within, within his own party to push for these vouchers. It's just not something that's popular. And so he's trying to use his bully pulpit. And so to make that a little easier, um, you know, there's a, there was a little bit more will to take over this district then, right now than before. It's wildly unpopular. But as we've seen with our governor, when he wants his way about something, he will do what he has to do. He will call special sessions. I think he's going he's gonna to call. He's actually going to call. I think this will be the third special session in October where he's going to drag legislators back to Austin because he wants this voucher uh, bill passed. And I think this time the voucher bill will be directly connected to teachers raises because they have not been able to get raises um, passed in the legislature. He won't sign a bill because he wants vouchers at all costs. So that's kind of what is different now. 
um, maybe versus then. I think too, the pandemic gave us a great natural disaster um, to to you know be able to show because this was Mike in Mike Smiles' presentation. He was showing us test scores where kids, you know, I guess had dipped a little bit. And I asked him, I said, well, what was going on globally? What was happening in the world in 2020 where, you know, people might not be able to perform as well at bubbling in bubbles as they had previously. And, you know, to not even acknowledge this mass disabling event that traumatized, you know, a good number of our population and to not take that into account to as to where we're talking about test scores, which again, I, I won't get on my soapbox about, what I feel a, ten, a, a standardized test should be used for, um, you know, like I said, gave ground for this takeover to happen. I Absolutely. Think, and the pandemic also gave rise to the Moms for Liberty. Okay. Yeah, oh, for sure. And we saw this happen with Hurricane Katrina. And so I use New Orleans as an example of, a, of what a state takeover can do. Um, because it's our next door neighbor, but I also was in school with a lot of those kids when they had to come to Houston. A lot of them came to my high school, and I remember, like, I knew that they were traumatized, but I remember them talking about how hard our school was. And this is my, you know, neighborhood school in Third Ward, and everybody thought, you know, we were just a, a dropout factory. And to hear these kids from New Orleans talk about how rigorous and how difficult our school was. I was like, wow, that's weird. And so when I started to investigate and learn more about the system that they had in New Orleans and how they, most of those kids were in private school and Hurricane Katrina was a natural disaster that helped exacerbate the issue around their public schooling because what happened when those kids and those people left New Orleans, the charter schools moved in. And so when they returned home, they already, they left from a very weak public system and they returned home to something that was virtually non-existent. And so that's what I know they would love to do in Houston. It's a little bit harder because we are such a large city. But what you do is it's going to take Mike Miles a year, a couple of years to actually destroy HISD. But what you can do in the meantime is destroy public perception. You make people lose faith in the system that the public system can educate their kids. And so people will just naturally start to pull their children out. And that's and that's kind of where we are right now. As far as legal remedies, I am not an attorney, so I'm not, you know, as much as I would love to go to law school, I'm not in law school at the moment. I'm not exactly sure what we can do. What we are doing though right now is we're trying to get um, the Department of Education and maybe in the Department of Justice, depending on where we're going with some of these um, discriminatory practices that are happening that Mike Miles is implementing to see if they can be if they can step in and do something because Mike Miles has said I don't mind losing federal funding about not um, meeting the standards around like special education and um, offering dual language and bilingual programming for example he's doing away with some of these other programs that really make um, the public education system attractive, whereas charter schools just don't have the resources to offer some of these programs to students. And he has openly verbally said, I know that the federal government will deem me for this. We will lose funding and I'm fine with that. And so we're using that as, you know, as as kind of like an alarm, trying to ring the alarm to say, hey, 
This man has clearly said he does not mind losing critical services that our students need. Somebody has to step in and help us. So that's kind of where we are now. I just wrote a letter this morning to the Department of Education secretary. And, we're, and as a series of letters, we're trying to send off to say, hey, you know, there's a number of violations happening here. What can be done? Because, again, like I said earlier, about 20 um, contractors were, you know, told that their services were no longer needed, but they're also not hiring staff to fill those positions. So you're going to have children who have ADHD. You're going to have children who are autistic. You're going to have children who are dyslexic, not receiving services. And I don't know how you can justify that in a public government taxpayer run system. Uh, last question. Um, wasn't uh, the services the educational services to disabled students a major factor in the takeover wasn't that wasn't that they what they argued to the texas supreme court uh -huh, part of the justification so a few years ago there was a report that came out basically that talked about how under-resourced and really just how just frankly how much of a hot mess um special education services were in houston isd a lot of it you know was kind of just mismanagement and malfeasance just within the district itself but that was sourced from the turnover of superintendents. We had about three or four superintendents within a short span of time. And then again, that critical and intentional under-resourcing of the school district where our district um, participate. We have this, this, this thing, it's a Robin Hood law where larger districts like HISD have to kind of like use some of their resources and it be distributed to smaller rural districts. But what we know about places like Houston is it's always a tale of two cities where you have very affluent parts of our cities, but you have also very low income um, and low resource areas. And so while, you know, on paper, HIZ seems like this very, very rich district, these resources are not evenly distributed. So you have campuses where they're sitting on, you know, not only just the money that they get from the district in the state, but also these really like huge PTO war chests, whereas you come to the schools in my children's neighborhood and in, in our neighborhood and the schools that my kids attend, where the principal is trying to decide if I'm going to have a drama teacher or hire another math specialist. And so again, to your point, yes, that was the justification used to say, hey, this district is not managing, you know, this special education services. Children are not getting the services that they need. You know, somebody needs to come do something. And so to say, oh, well, actually, you know, it's not that big of an issue really is disingenuous. And again, it's why I say and I keep saying that this takeover is illegitimate, even though the law you know allows it to happen slavery was legal at one time you can create a law for anything but also that is it's it's illegitimate it's a truly illegitimate takeover that's that's politically motivated um and it, it really is frustrating great for that. Question, i appreciate you. i appreciate you, uh, answering appreciate that what what, what last but what and now i'm done with this um, I'm done here. What do you think is their end game? What's the end game as far as you know, being on the ground and, and having been so so involved the last few years? What's the end game here? Um, I think just right in front of us, the end game is to just dismantle public education as much as possible. What I tell people all the time, I'm always weary of anybody who looks at education, healthcare, and the prison system as a way to get rich. Those are just industry. Those are just those are things that we need in our society. I knew I love you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just those are just not you know. And so when we think about over time, 
um, how we've lost, how the loss of like union destiny, for example, directly correlated to us losing pensions and defined benefit plans. You see it a lot of air in a lot of ways that there are people who are very rich who want to get even richer and they look at public resources they look at the public good things that we rely on that our government to do as a pool of money that they want to get their hands into corporate thing about welfare. it is, corporate what well, corporate that's exactly what it is and the thing as much as we don't like and i tell people as much as you're scared of the government and the public sector you should be even more terrified of the private sector because at the very least the government's goal is to not make money the private sector is prof is for profit that's what their goal is it's profit margins and so at the expense of anything else, they have to make money. The government, even though, you know, obviously they, you know, think people are, are greedy as individuals. But the government is really not designed to make money and it's not a business. And I was like, when we look at it as a business and we try to talk about efficiency and stuff, that harms us as citizens because sometimes the government services we need are just going to cost money and they're not going to be super efficient in that way if you're looking at it as a, from a cost analysis. But the people who are telling us that we're spending too much money are the very same re people that want that money in their pockets. They don't want us to have defined pension plans. Or, you know, for example, they want us to have 401ks so they can play with our money in the stock market. And, 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 and like I said, I'm going, I'm getting a little bit too far off and going all over the place. But that's really the end goal is to keep that money for themselves. They don't want us on food stamps, but they also want to be able to subsidize their own children's private educations or their, their trips to Martha's Vineyards. And they're going to do so with our tax dollars. Great. <laughs> all right. Okay. I am seriously having a fangirl moment. I am not kidding you. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like I just want to hug her, hug her, hug her. Seriously. Oh, my God. Kindred spirits. I, I uh, so appreciate you uh, speaking to unions and pensions and organizing and all of that because um, what you're, you're, you're so correct. You know, the private sector is all about um, making money off of us and taking money from us to make that money off of us. And, and you said it so perfectly. You said it so, so graciously and plainly. There's no way anyone could be confused by what you're saying right now. And it, it's just, it's, it's refreshing to hear it from someone um, who isn't always in advocacy arena every day. So it, it lets us know there's more of us out there. <laughs> there, there, there. The world is really bigger than just this this space and uh, and and this growing community. And I hope that um, we can see more of you within Absolutely. our community. Yes. Absolutely. I knew I heard her talking about unions. I see you speaking um, uh, Gwen's language there. So uh, I love it. And she does. Like she says, she has a full command and understanding of, you know, the things that she speaks to. And she does it with such passion and, and so authentically. Um, and we love you for that. So I did have a speaker up that we lost. I know um, maybe um Twitter, or maybe they had to go, but we're going to move. Allie is here, and then we have a new speaker, um, and we're going to be getting to our, our wind-up stage, um, but, you know, I can go another 30, 40 minutes if anyone would like to come up and uh, join, uh, contribute to the the wonderful, wonderful conversation that we have had and all of the wonderful knowledge that uh, Lauren Ashley has, you know, so graciously shared with us today. I tell you, I just can't. I, I just can't thank you enough. 
So um, without um, further ado, I'm going to go to the next speaker, which is um, Ali and then uh, Benazir's. I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. You can correct me. And I'm going to bring uh, Davina up. So Ali, how are you? Long time no see, friend. Hey, you guys. How's everybody doing? Am, am I coming through? Yes, are, you are. So glad uh, to hear your voice. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Good to hear you guys, too. Oh, that was so inspiring to hear you, Lauren Ashley. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my goodness. I was just basking in your voice. Ah, Lovely, lovely. Thank you so much for all your work and for joining this community. Um, and we hope to see you here a lot. Thank you so much. Um, and I don't want to turn the discussion away from that i just um, but give us some geopolitics if you've yeah. got them because i've been missing that um yeah if, i did okay. want to tell you yeah and things that we can really apply to like u.s politics as we watch things unfold across the world you know how people seem to be so confused about the lat quote latino vote in the united states well, there was a huge election victory in Guatemala this weekend, which was a centrist um, kind of academic guy who had no money whatsoever, was, was elected by a landslide against going against Trump-backed right-wingers that have been in power but via, the, via the army for a couple of decades now. Um, and Guatemala is a place where I have close friends have been <laughs> quite a bit. And they didn't even have money for billboards. And nine, he got like 90% of the vote, this guy who's a centrist. And it is really, he ran on an anti-corruption, basically, you know, a democratic um, uh, ideology. And just going back towards we're going to promote democracy for everybody and in our foreign policy, and we're going to attempt to not be used as a pawn and blah, blah, blah. So in a, with a clearness of mind, and the guy has like a degree in economics and a degree in, he speaks several languages, and he's, he's very, uh, he's just a different, um, he brings with him a variety of study of world politics that often doesn't come into what may be a pattern of kind of strong arm uh, military backed uh, political parties in Latin America. So, and Guatemala has been through a horrendous history um, with uh, genocide of indigenous people in recent decades, actually. So um, it, is a, it is a really big thing. And it's with a clarity of mind. And as I was looking at the different coverage of it, it made me kind of laugh because people in the English-speaking world, not in the Spanish-speaking world, but in the English-speaking world, they were confusing the idea of what it means to be progressive versus what it means to be democratic. So in, 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 in Guatemala, they're saying he's progressive, meaning he's bringing progress away from these military dictators. The old, what progressive used to mean to us here, you know, before, before it got hijacked. And um, 
it has nothing to do with what, like the, you know, Jill Steins and Bernie Sanders and all this. Um, it has to do with turning away from militarism and turning towards democracy. And uh, for a country that has suffered so much under military rule, for the general population to rise up and spontaneously say no, the same way that happened in Brazil, where the the <laughs> the general population said no, we're not going to have another round of Bolsonaro, and it's kind of like you know people seem to forget that Trump lost, you know he lost to Biden. Um, the same Bolsonaro lost, you know, and here we have another in Guatemala, a place where there has been there's been much suffering. This the the right wing party lost hugely. And when you see those, if you see some of the, I just posted up two little articles there, but when you see those blue, white, blue flags, those are just Guatemalan flags. They're not connected to left. They're not connected to right. They're just connected to the country. Like, this is our democracy. We want it to be a democracy. And here we go. And they did not even have money for billboards, people. This was all done word of mouth. Grassroots, real grassroots. Yeah, huge <laughs> victory. So when we talk about like the different ways that uh, media gets manipulated in the United States, including in Latino community, uh, you know, communities, and the way we talk about it, uh, the media talks about about South Florida. They talk about Texas. They talk less about the Southwest because you know it, it's it's. It's very interesting because when you look at Latin America, where many refugees are coming into the United States and people tend to think that they're afraid of socialists or whatever, they're not even using the word socialist in Guatemala right now. They're just saying, let's go towards fairness. Let's go towards democracy. Let's treat each other well. And that will be progress because that'll be the greater good for everybody. Let's go away from people using power to mistreat each other. And um, it, it's very encouraging. I know Guatemala is a small country, but they have suffered hugely. And um, they've been under the, you know, for the population to rise up and say, we're not taking this anymore. We want it to go towards the center is really important. So I just wanted to, to bring that up. And um well, thank you. I have been missing your geopolitical updates. Uh, I've been, of course, following them. And, and because you mentioned Guatemala uh, in one of our earlier spaces, you know, we have a gun violence problem here. We have actually a special session that is going on here in Nashville to address it, which they're not. They have already been, our governor has already folded to the lobbyists and the, you know, the uh, right-wing freedom caucus that we have here in our legislature. Um, but we have, um, you know, a gun violence issue here in our state and in our country. And it, for a long time, we have been saying that this was an American problem. But, you know, just like our democracy is has been copied and followed and used as a blueprint for other countries, I'm afraid that we are now beginning to export our gun issue because um, I posted in the space last week about um, there being uh, an uptick in the export of guns to Guatemala 
um, and Thailand in particular. And these are already countries that already have issues of violence and unrest. And so, you know, not only are we, you know, not able to take care of our own, we want to make sure that we spread it across the globe. So, um, I'm mm-hmm. glad that you mentioned that. And also um, an article that I saw in uh, France uh, talking about, you know, well, kind of immigration tying it to that is that um, Saudi Arabia is really um, creating, um, they're really um, inflicting some really bad atrocities on immigrants from uh, Yemen. Um, on on them crossing the border there and it it seems to be they've been doing it for a while it seems to be really really escalating and I'm hoping that it gets some national attention uh, because Mm -hmm. these are people from Ethiopian immigrants you know and um, so thank you again well let me let me just catch up a little bit on what's happening then over in this European and in the African continent okay Um, if you can do it in five minutes so we can uh, I got another speaker and um, then I want to start wrapping up but go ahead go ahead yeah okay so just the things that don't seem to cross the language divide between former French colonies and former you know other colonies uh, France is losing influence on the ground in a number of different African com- uh, you know countries and people are voting and people are rising up against French control in former colonies um, and that influences how much uh, you know violence there is on the ground and how many refugees how many people are leaving vi- violence zones so you have this split in the Arab communities whether they're going to a welcome fellow Muslims into their communities or not. And you can see that it's not as clear. There's economic issues absolutely involved in who's welcomed in and who's not, as is always the case. So um, anyway, that that's also something that's going on, and that's part of the reason that Franz van Kat was covering that story, because they've been talking about uh, the role of former colonies and then countries that have been trying to, you know, move out from underneath the control of those European colonies, even though they are supposedly free countries, and then what the other countries in the world who may have connections through other cultural and or religious reasons why they are accepting and not accepting people. It often has to do with flow of money and arms. Um, And then... And, and and whether they need, like, certain types of employment. Certain people will be allowed in and others won't. So I'll just stop there. But thanks so much. It's really great to talk to you guys. And just you too. And I hope that you will be able to join us next week. I know you've had some things going on, connection problems or whatever. But, again, it was so nice to be able to hear you and to get that update. And um, I want to keep our conversation moving. I'm going to go to an our new uh, speaker who is next, and um, uh, please help me pronounce your name. Uh, ben- Actually, uh, you were close. My name is Benazir Khan. Actually, I am the brains and creator of Benazir's blog. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a, well, I write about food, so. And I also write about my turbulent family and everything else like that, because I'm also a child abuse survivor. And, um, and you know, this is just like an Anybody, you know, who uh, reads my blog and everything else like that, you can probably see, you know, what. And sometimes I, I do bash uh, people in politics, too, especially if it gets to be about two months. I'm also a resistor, and I speak six languages. 
Um, I came from a German immigrant family. And, you know, my mother instilled in me, of course, you know, it was just like a lot of immigrant parents instilled, you know, that I, you know, me getting uh, an education. My mother actually wanted me to become a doctor, <laughs> which is crazy. Her grave is right down the street from my old high school. So it's pretty much fitting. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's just like the the last so-called administration i want to say we had no government for the last four years from you know from the so-called idiot that called himself being the president he what he's you know and uh, you know this is just like and actually i'm glad he was indicted and you know and i pray to god that he isn't goes to jail honestly i can't stand him and um and especially about betsy duvos she was really messing up even more so the education system and everything else like that. And, you know, what they want to do is they want to sit there, they want to strip everything from us, all of our rights and everything else like that. And uh, and I call them the Republican Party because it is exactly just what they are. And, um, and they do a whole, lot of horrible, crazy stuff. And, you know, this is just like, you know, one thing. And the bullshit that my mother's seen in in Germany when Hitler came to power and everything else like that is the same type of bullshit that I seen here and I really didn't like it. And it get, it, it it gives me the creeps just even thinking about it. Well and it's definitely show it, it um I think one of the historians that I follow who lives here a uh, local uh John Meacham he's you know and many others have probably said this but you know hint, history may not repeat itself but it definitely rhymes and we see a lot of rhyming going on. Exactly. And and if you're not careful, it will repeat itself. And, oh, absolutely. Which is and, why they're trying to destroy and, and, history and then, classes. Exactly. And you know, one thing, I know what was going on, okay? I don't like what was going, what, what was done to the Native Americans either, okay? And, you know, it's just like, you know, one thing, it's just like, you know, one thing, I had a hard time in my life when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter and everything. Hey, and a couple, I'm, and I'm a couple so Native American you. sisters had helped me, honestly. <laughs> I'm so glad that you joined us today. And uh, like I said, we're about to wrap up and we have a special guest here with us. We don't always. And so I want to keep it focused on um, education if we can and um, get you, give you an opportunity to just kind of ha have some closing thoughts or direct a question to uh, Lauren Ashley, who is our special guest uh, um on education today. So if you could do that, um, we're going to start to uh, wrap it up. But I thank you for joining us so much. And I hope that you, you know, join mm -hmm. us again. Yeah, but Betsy DeVos was trying to sit there and push charter schools and everything else like that and, and everything. And, you know, and, and trying to shaft people from getting public education, which is really terrible. I mean, this is my opinion. I've been to Pakistan and everything else like that three times to visit my in-laws over there. And, you know, it's, it's just like, and, and, and what's very, very unfair is that the rich kids can sit there and go to school and the poor kids are made to suffer and, and not have, an, have that degree of education that the rich kids can, can easily partake in. And, you know, it's, it's just like, it's very much very unequal. Very much so. And I, I think they're trying to replicate those same things here. And Lauren spoke to a lot of those things. And as I said, we're going to be in we're in our final wrap up stage. So before we lose uh, Lauren Ashley, I want to 
thank her again. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We have one more speaker, Davina, and then um, I'm going to give uh, Lauren Ashley an opportunity to have some closing words and uh, my fabulous co-host. If there um, is anyone, if um, LMZ uh, and BJ um, wanted to um, have, I, I see I'm, my phone is acting funny. So, okay. Yeah, I think um, we'll let them speak. Davina, LMZ, and um then Lauren with some final words. Thank you so much, Dee. I'm only going to be one minute because I wanted to thank the speaker, Miss um, Lauren Ashley, so much and uh, repeat what, what I was taking away as one powerful piece of language to use, which is she said that they want to take public institutions and divert the money into their private pockets because that was such an excellent summary. Um, of of what a lot of the end goal is of all the techniques and strategies to um whip up and fearmonger over over trans people over uh over minorities over pretending that the u.s is being invaded and, and concealing that the u.s is highly dependent on migrant labor etc so all of those uh things she she detailed her approach of saying to people who is um, getting in the way of you living your best life, who is, who is, I can't, and that's what I wanted to just ask her again if she could repeat or she has a memory of how she phrased that to say um, that question she asked people, something like who, who is getting in the way of your best life right now, uh, just because it was such a powerful sounding strategy to refocus people um, and is part of the tool basket I always want to add to of what we do in the face of fascism, which is not just complain about it, not just draw people's attention to strategy, but, but actively work on using their own human nature to, to remind them to connect to, to logic, sound logic, and not confected, fear-mongered, fascist, fabricated logic. That's all from me. Thank you, Len, my plane. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Ashley. Thank you, Sabina. I appreciate you so very much. And thank you for those wonderful reminders and, you know, your musings always um, on, you know, from the uh, overview, from a broad view. So I appreciate you so much. I'm going to go to LMZ, then Dawn, and then Ashley and my fabulous co-host. And again, I just want to thank all of you for being here. Please share, retweet this space. Um, Lauren has been excellent. I do think that it's a conversation worthy of being shared and amplified. And um, so we're going to continue with the LMZ, uh, Dawn, um, Ashley, and Gwen. Hi, I'll be um, real brief, Miss D. And so, sister, thank you for bringing me back up. I just wanted to, myself, um, again, thank Lauren Ashley for her time today. I imagine how busy she is as a mom um, and then also doing this advocacy and activism work on the ground um, can be so time consuming. And so I wanted to thank you so much. And then I just wanted to say, because hopefully this um, space will be um, shared and retweeted widely by everyone who's in here making good trouble. Um, you know, silence is complicity. Silence is complicity. Silence is acceptance. Silence is complicity and being complicit. And the fact that you, Lauren Ashley, are using your voice is, you know, the most powerful tool that we have. 
And while everyone might not have the gift, you know, you've been given the gift of a beautiful voice, not just your speaking voice, the tone, the tenor, the power and the passion behind it that make you an incredible advocate that make you an incredible activist. And, you know, everyone might not have that gift and that's okay. Um, everyone has the power to use their voice in some way. We are all holding an incredible computer in the palm of our hand. Um, and it goes with us in the car and it goes with us everywhere we go. And that allows us to, even if we're not using our verbal voice, it allows us to send text messages and emails to legislators, school board members. It allows us to communicate as high as the United States um, uh, Supreme Court all the way down to our local dog catcher. It allows us to make phone calls. Um, it allows us to use our voices. Um, there are constant ways to communicate with these groups of people who are every day uh, doing the things that you talked about to to specifically harm and target our children, to disenfranchise particularly um, black children from getting the education that they need, poor children the education that they need without question, disabled children or children with special needs the children the education that they need, and then without you know going off into the deep end layer after layer after layer of American citizens citizen, whether it's, you know, the, our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ community to senior citizens um, living in substandard long-term care um, nursing homes. Um, we should not be quiet. And they are able to do this because we are quiet. And you were so powerful that day because you have that power, but because it showed the power of when we are not quiet. And, um, and so, again, you know, courage is not doing something without having any maybe concern or reservation, maybe a little bit of fear sometimes or anxiety, but it's the fact of doing it in spite of it. It's doing it in spite of it. And so you stood up to people that you know and still know um, do not have good intentions for your children and the children across the Houston um, school district. And you stood there in your power and used your voice to say, no, not on my watch. And if more of us across this country would do that everywhere we could, I think that things uh, could change. I think the tide could change. I wish that there were more Lauren Ashleys in this country, not because you're not one in a million and you're never to be recreated. Of course not. But I wish there were more citizens that found that courage in their voice. And so I encourage other people, if you don't have Lauren's voice, you do have a way to text school board members. You do have a way to call school board members. Um, my mom is 73 years old. She goes to school board meetings in her rural Virginia County where she doesn't have a child or a grandchild in that school system. You have a right to go to any school board meeting where you live, where you are paying taxes. You can be there. 
So you should know the names of these people where you live. You should you should have their phone numbers and email addresses taped onto your refrigerator. And you should be able to use this phone that right now we're using it for such good to be able to connect with Lauren Ashley and connect with each other in Advocacy Arena every Monday. You should be able to do it to make some good trouble and have your voice be heard to let these people know not on my watch and with that i will land my plane beautiful flight it was my dear as i know that you always will <laughs> you know i i love um everything that you said dawn you're up next and then i'm gonna give lauren ashley an opportunity to give us some closing thoughts and words and then my fabulous co-host Fangirl Dawn here again. I just wanted to thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for just stopping by. This is a, a wonderful collective community, and we would hope to just see you again. And if there is anything that any of us can do to more than just amplify your message or rotate, if there are letters, phone banking, texting, uh, like Shauna has spearheaded before in the past for the um, for the midterms, anything that we can do to help you with these letters. Uh, some of us have family and friends and uh, in Texas, in Houston um, as well, so whatever we can do. And I also wanted to put out there to you have, uh, now I'm not sure about all the rules in Texas. I know most uh, cities, I'm also in a, a, blue dot, a blue dot in a red state in the South. Uh, what they have chosen to do because uh, the governor in Alabama had decided to divert $300 million of funds uh, to <laughs> a private prison, uh, quietly, mostly behind closed doors. Not many people heard about it because they know how to scrub that from the media. Um, but what uh, this city has done, we've made it into a municipality, the city that I reside in. Uh, it was a part of uh, Greater Mobile County, but they've decided, okay, they're not going to assault our children this way. And what they have chosen to do is use their property taxes. It only takes 51% in Alabama. I'm not sure about Texas, I would say. But majority, most states are like a 50 uh, you know, in between like a 51 and to 60 percent, if something like that, I hope would be able to be done. Um, it, it does have some of the some political advantages, but some um, some annexation that is required. But if that helps, because now 72 percent of our taxes now and, and uh, to get people to understand to pay more property taxes to put into the school system. Um, but it is made for a better. They are now the fourth best school system in the uh, public school system in the state. So if that's something that can be done there, if there's anything initiative that we can help you with, uh, please let us know. Please come back. And uh, just to tell you your power and that allude to what LMZ said, um, you're living, I went to, I, I visit your page uh, often. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but Prager University has a promoted Mm. Um, <laughs> promoted advertisement on your page today, and I just figured I found I find that strange. That's your power, and that's your good trouble. So please keep doing what you're doing. And I'll still be that one. <laughs> Everybody in here knows because we're basically family. I will push the needle uh, if you see something in politics for future to come across the red state lines and to amplify. You will have a charge ready to back you in all directions. But I just you know this supplemental curriculum they have here. Uh, this what they called edutainment which is also now available free uh you don't need to download the app you can watch the episodes in the state of florida they're under assault so you know like you said there's so many ways that they are coming under attack virginia i don't know if you all saw uh these militias 
are at standing in front of the school building mm-hmm. uh, in Virginia. And we have heard nothing from Yunkin, nothing about it. Like this is just okay. Manning the schools, standing outside. So they have their ways. But if, if you need any help in that area, I still would love to see you in politics. But thank you so much for coming in. Please come back to this collective community. It's a rich uh, family-like atmosphere. We've been together for a long time. Most of us in spaces have started. And just thank you for your time. And I just want you to know about your power. You're doing something. Absolutely. Beautifully said. And thank you for bringing that up. Like you guys are so good. Like I don't even have to do some things because I know somebody in the collective is going to take care of it. And and, and I um, am glad that you told her about the power of our collective, like, you know, in helping to amplify the work that she's doing, because I know she mentioned that petition. You need some more signatures on there, you know, like hook us up with the link. Uh, we will get it amplified and rotate it for you. Uh, like I said, give us call to actions. We are not just keyboard warriors or voices, you know, you know, talking in the void about what, you know, the problem is. We are really actively working in our own areas and communities however we can and assisting others in their communities and areas to actually move the needle, as Dawn said, to, to do something. So. Um, and Mark is going to come up. I want to give you some last words to kind of close out our educational part. And uh, Mark, I'm going to try to get him back up um, to um, speak before Soul Sister. So, Lauren Ashley, thank you, my dear. It has been a treat beyond belief. <laughs> so go ahead, my dear. You have the floor. And I am so glad so glad that you are as passionate as you are and able to, you know, speak to all the, um, you know, the things that have been brought up in this space, but I know so much more and that you do it so, like I said, authentically uh, in such a way that is very easy for everyone to grasp and understand and your passion carries through. So I just want to thank you and give you an opportunity to leave us with some of your words of wisdom or call to action, whatever it is. <laughs> I, I, pr- I appreciate the space. I think it's been a, um, a very, very important. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I think it's been a, a very important uh, topic. So I, I appreciate uh, Miss Lauren Ashley and, and uh, everybody that's been on talking about the importance of education and the attack on education, because a lot of what I talk about is about uh, these, these attacks uh, on our, on um, uh, the, the cornerstones of our democracy, one of which is the rule of law. Um, and, uh, and it's happening now. I, I, I was just actually, when you were, when you were calling me back up, I was reading the Jack Smith reply to Trump's, um, um, audacious and um, out- outrageous argument to postpone the January 6th trial to 2026. And uh, basically, I got to the point where uh, Jack Smith is saying that the Trump team is exaggerating the amount of discovery that they have to go through because they already had most of it, um, uh, which is, uh, you know... It, yeah, they generated a lot of it. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, these are things that, you know, they had that, you know, well, I mean, a lot of stuff is stuff that they had and also... Um, and also, he's, he, I haven't gotten to the part where they're talking about 2026, but one of the things I, I was going to talk about today, in addition to, to education, is uh, just, to, just to summarize where we are, we're really close to a lot of decisions on, on trial days. Next week, this time, uh, Trump's team has to go before Judge Chutkin to, for this same exact case um, to decide what, what the court date is going to be for the trial. Uh, Jack Smith is wanting, the January, uh, wanting a trial in January 2024. Trump has suggested 2026, which is outrageous. 2024 January is kind of kind of fast, but uh, we'll see how that goes. So 
uh, this time next week we'll know a lot of what's uh, what the posture of, of Judge uh, Tanya Chetkin is uh, in the D.C. Circuit. Um, and but you know one of the things I wanted to uh, actually talk about is that there's been a lot of uh, and I put it in the in the chat. There's been a lot of talk about whether Trump can uh, and and Mark Meadows can ask for uh, uh, immunity with regard to um, especially with regard to what they're saying were uh, actions within their um, within the scope of their duties and responsibilities as president and and um, and chief of staff. And I I heard a uh, I was just uh, perusing uh, uh, Twitter yesterday, and I heard that they were talking about a, a respected con law professor or constitutional law professor on Fox News. Now, no real respected constitutional law professor is going to be on Fox News. Uh, you know, I mean, they, they have Jonathan Turley on there, and he's not really re- real respected anymore. And he used to be, but he's not. But they had this other guy named uh, David Sivkin, and he was he proposed or asserted that uh, um, the uh, Fannie Willis indictment is preposterous because the president enjoys um, or a president enjoys absolute immunity uh, against criminal uh, uh, criminal indictment uh, when uh, op- operating within the scope of, of his responsibilities. And that's actually that's, that's absolutely false. Um, there is no president that has absolute immunity, especially with regard to uh, criminal uh, criminal indictment uh, or even investigation. Uh, president cannot commit crimes. Uh, even if even if they're in within the outward, what the Supreme Court calls the outer perimeter of their constitutional presidential duties, and remember, we are talking about presidential duties. We're not talking about like what the president can do. Um, these are constitutional duties that are within the four corners of the Supreme of the uh, the Constitution, with which the Supreme Court has interpreted. They have not expanded upon those duties in Article Two. Um, so the so the the and, and then the the con law professor. Um, he cited to a case called Nixon versus um, uh, Fitzgerald uh, for, to purport this uh, absurd notion that uh, a president has absolute immunity. The problem with him citing to that as a respected and reputed con law professor, which I don't think he is unless he just blatantly, uh, patently and latently lying, is that that case was a civil case that established that a president has absolute immunity from civil lawsuits related to official acts executed during their term. Now we know that that's a lie, that that, that case is not even, not, not, that's not a, we know that's a lie that a president has absolute immunity uh, um, uh, from exposure, but we know that's not even the law now because how do we know? Because um, E. Jean Carroll just sued President Trump while he was president. Um, so the Supreme Court currently already just said, you don't even have absolute immunity under the 1982 case. That's not, we don't, we're not gonna go with that. But we know more. We know more than that. We knew this back in 2000, at the end of Bill Clinton's term, when Paula Jones sued Bill Clinton. Another Supreme Court, the same court but different people, said that the president doesn't have absolute immunity. So why would a why would a con law? Uh, my my baby girl's getting mad too. She's getting all she's getting all excited. Um. So why would a, why would a guy purporting purporting to be a con law professor go on Fox News? And and tell these lies, or or maybe he doesn't know because some of these constitutional scholars just don't know. Um, so, and then there's another case too, United States versus Nixon, where the court had to tell President Nixon to hand over the subpoenas. Um, so, and it 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 didn't expressly stand for the idea that a president can face criminal indictment, but it certainly didn't stand for the idea that the, there's an executive privilege that's unyielding to criminal uh, um, criminal. And, and inquiry and, and indictment. Um, so 
um, these arguments that Mark Meadows is making to get the uh, get the um, get the case out of Fannie Lewis's Fulton County and into federal court, um, and also he's asking for it to be dismissed because of uh, sovereign immunity, which they're not going to get. Um, and he's asking for it to be dismissed, removed from, to federal court because he has federal defenses, um, which it, he's not going to get either. These the the asking for removal from Fulton County does nothing regarding uh, a pardon. Um, it, the even if the case is removed for Trump and for uh, 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 Mark Meadows, it's still state law, and they still can't be pardoned if, if a Republican becomes president in twenty twenty four. But what they want to do is they don't want the Fulton County jury because Fulton County is forty three percent African American. 40 percent black, eight uh, percent Latino, and another eight percent um, Asian Pacific Islander. Um, so they don't they don't want that diversity. They want they want ninety percent white, so they can uh, recruit uh, jurors from or or get jur- expand the juror pool to all of the northern district of Georgia, which includes Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, North Georgia. So that's what they're gunning for here. So just to conclude, I, I know we have some good good topics, and I don't want to take too much time. Um, and go through every single aspect of the RICO case. I'm going to do that next week because we're going to, you know, we're going to find out a lot. Go through some of the aspects of the RICO case that make it uh, why it's why I think it's so strong. Um, but th- there is a, such a thing as presidential immunity, and it's, it's it's a foundational concept in our in our U.S. legal legal team. But it's not an unequivocal shield, and to argue such a thing is just ignorant because the Supreme Court that is currently uh, situated now would not even agree with that. Um, but these boundaries are going to be tested, and de- the defense got a defense. But um, you know, it, it's appearing every week as we go forward, as we move forward. Um, Donald Trump is it, as as we get closer and closer to these trials, he's going to get it's going to get scarier and scarier for him. And like I said a long time ago, before I'm predicting a um, a global plea or at least an attempt to do so. I'm not sure if Fannie Willis is going to like that, uh, but she she's going to have to like ask the question too. I mean, she's going to have to um, consider it at least. Um, because a RICO case is very difficult to prove. Uh, excuse me, a RICO case is very difficult to manage. It's easy to prove. It's easier to prove than a regular case, but it's it's a it's a huge case. Um, it's like it's like a um, driving a little twenty foot ship, and or driving like a three hundred foot ship. Right? It's going to be a little bit more difficult to to navigate and maneuver. Um, but with that, uh, everything's still progressing, uh, and he's going to be held accountable. Um, these cases are very strong. Uh, whichever one goes first, I'm I'm. I'm thinking that there's going to be a conviction and, and, you know, the Republican Party is probably going to be destroyed because of it. I would say they're pretty much already destroyed, but thank you, Mark, uh, for giving us those updates. And we look forward to the ones next week uh, with more meat on the bone, because um, I'm sure there'll be some more things because they have to uh, actually... Um, appear this week so that's interesting and um i thought i felt i saw something funny um someone posted a link to you know georgia they will be taking a mugshot and uh it is possible for people to request copies um and uh there's a link um uh, to be able to do that and people <laughs> were talking about putting their orders and things in so anyway just kind of a lighthearted note but thank you so much for that mark and well, well, not, uh, not, not just a mugshot he has to he's one his lawyers are in court today while we're speaking while we're having a space 
they're trying to negotiate his surrender to the county courthouse instead of the county jail. Um, I'm not sure if the judge is going to go for that. Um, I'm sure that the uh, the prosecutor is not uh, because get, giving him a taste of Fulton County Jail is going going to you know give him a shot of reality. Um, I'm not sure how many people know anything about Fulton County Jail. I've never been there, but I heard of it. Um, so it's it's not a, it's not going to be a great place to be because you don't just you didn't just go in and go out. You got to get processed. So and they said they're going to treat him like everybody else. Yeah, they said that early on that he he was definitely going to be having a booking shot. <laughs> so um, up next, we have uh, Joseph real quick and then um, Lauren Ashley and we'll close out. And it's been a great space. Uh, look, I could stay here all day with you guys, but, you know, in real life calls. So, Joseph, I'm glad you were able to join us today and I'm glad that you were safe from all of the um weather um you know flooding hurricanes and uh earthquakes what didn't california have yesterday (laughs) (laughs) thank you miss d i i I know you want to wrap up so i'll keep it real uh real brief um yes uh fortunately i think my area was relatively unscathed i don't think we got as much rain as initially uh forecast there were some parts some parts of my county towards the foothills that got a little bit more but nothing like the mountains or the the deserts got so i got here to phoenix okay and while speaking of phoenix actually there's not too much on the arizona political spectrum nothing that has really changed since my uh since last week's space you know i'm still keeping an eye on things very closely here any new developments um i I, probably the biggest development last week is that uh the the state attorney general is opening an investigation into the fake electors uh, scheme. Um, she just did ask for uh, patience because her and her team just took office in January of this year. That's why it might not be moving as quickly as some other states. I think she used uh, Michigan as an example. I think their attorney general has been, been in for a while. So, uh, an investigation is underway, and I am sure we will see something uh, out of this. Uh, you know, uh, their, their attorney general, she is uh, definitely about uh, following the law. And this was this was a race last year that where elections really do matter, and every vote matters because she won only by like two hundred votes, and she beat out a, tr- a Trump loyalist who is also an election denier. So uh, this was a huge win for us. And it will be crucial going into next year's election. As we know, Arizona is a purple state. So to have the, the, the governor, the secretary of state, and attorney general all be Democrats, that is a huge uh, uh, feather in our cap going into, into next year. So that's, uh, that's there. Uh, Southern California, not too much to, to talk about. Uh, nothing has, uh, has come up since uh, last week's uh, space. Just, you know, trying to get as much engagement as I can on the app from my local, co- uh, my local cohorts uh, to, uh, to help flip those couple of congressional seats in my county that I'm trying to get flipped. Um, next week, I will be in Las Vegas for a few days. Uh, so, of course, as I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on Nevada um, and maybe posting anything that's that's relevant to to uh, their state. I probably sometime between now and then I will probably be um, posting the I should say tagging their Democratic reps in uh, a 
uh, a post because uh, all three of them are going to need our help uh, next year. Uh, they all had tight races last year, especially Susie Lee in Nevada's third district, which actually is where I'll be staying in when I'm in Las Vegas next week. Um, so they'll all need our, our help in getting uh, getting reelected. And just real quick to touch on the education point, um, just because I was able to hear some of uh, Lauren Ashley's uh, words and uh uh yeah they, they, it's just an assault everywhere um i'm seeing things even in my area that uh, you know they're they're trying to attack the the school boards and um it's just over i i think people have really taken leave of their senses and stuff that was unimaginable you know a generation ago is now is it's just it's all it's all out in the open and um, I, I, even though I don't have any kids, I mean, I feel for the parents who have kids that are in these school districts where these extremists are, are trying to take over because their their children's education is being effective. I mean, if we're not if children are not learning, say, for example, not learning history as it really happened, well, that's doing a massive disservice to them. And if they're not learning things how they're supposed to be learning, it, it's just, again, it's a, it's stunting their intellectual growth. And as somebody who has always been big on education because, you know, my parents instilled that value in me, uh, it, this is this is very painful to, to watch. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So thank you, Ms. D, so much for allowing me the time. I know you wanted to wrap up the space, but I wanted to, you know, join at least for a little bit today. It's been a very busy morning here for me in Phoenix. So uh, I'll uh, land my plane there. And thank you uh, to you, Ms. D. Thank you, Soul Sister. And thank you to everybody else. Have a great rest of your day, all. Thank you, Joseph. And I wanted to give you time because I know you're always here. You're usually the person. You told me you might be a little late. And uh, so I am just glad that you were able to join us and, again, that you were safe. And um, I am, again, uh, just so thankful for the great conversation uh, that we have been afforded here today. Thanks to our awesome guest who has the mic now. Lauren Ashley, um, you have the floor. Okay. Um. Yeah. Thanks again, D, for having me. Um. I had uh, some craziness on my calendar, but it was so important for me to be here. I kind of moved some things around. I really did want to, um, just you know, share and interact and engage in this space with y'all. So thank you for allowing me to crash the party and allowing me to be a guest. And I'm really, you know, using your platform to amplify our movement and what's going on with us in Houston. But to also, you know, use this space as kind of a a way for um, others to kind of help pick up, you know, the the charge in their respective states and localities, and really, you know, peel back the curtain on what's happening with happening with public education. Um, public education is, you know, it's political. I didn't realize how political it was until I really actually started um, working for the teachers union. But in understanding just how we think about education as a, you know, as a great equalizer and you know, every profession that we have, it starts with the teacher. It really is um, important that we protect this 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 public good. Um, it, it's so many reasons where so many reasons why, as a citizen, you know, people believe that people deserve public education, but also selfishly, you know, I want to live in a place where people are well-educated around me. I want a well-educated populace. The children really are our future. These are our doctors, our lawyers, our, you know, 
even the folks that will be just working jobs in like the CPS office, the DMV that, that keep our, our, our country and our economy going, we want those people to, to be literary. We want them to be able to care for themselves. And so, um, you know, I think about the way that we're trying to deprofessionalize, you know, teaching in other professions. And it's, you know, really about those same folks who want all those resources for themselves. They want to be able to pay us less. And so a lot of justification around that is making sure that people are not, you know, as educated as possible. And so, again, you know, I'm getting on my soapbox. I'm getting long-winded here. But I really appreciate just the opportunity to share with y'all. Um, about what's going on, my passion, um, and why I'm so committed to this work. Um, I would ask that y'all, if y'all can, please follow at Houston CDPE. Um, that's Houston Community Voices for Public Education. They're doing a lot of organizing on the ground. Um, they're doing all of their very limited resources to, you know, put boots on the ground, knock doors, create materials um, to, to be dispersed through our community. And so really doing the work to inform folks. Um, I just recently tweeted the CVP, the Houston CVP petition. But also, if you can, you know, think about maybe possibly making a donation on or volunteering remotely, so that means like phone banking, you know, one weekend. We would love to have y'all doing that as well. Um, and if you haven't been to a school board meeting in your hometown in a while, I think, you know, you should, it might be time for you to go back and get involved. Um, you don't have to have children, like somebody said before, you don't have to have students. If you pay taxes, if you live in that area, go be involved, run for the school board, um, you know, donate some paper to your, your campuses in those areas where you know those schools are, are under-resourced. Um, there's something that we can all be doing. Not everybody has to be an activist. I hate sometimes that I've called but um, my birthday is October 6th. I'm born on the same day as Sandy Lou Hamer, and so some things are just divinely, you know, written, I guess. But um, again, thank you for having me. I can't wait till I can come back and, you know, and just be an observer and a listener and, and really, you know, be a part of this community as well. Um, and like I said, stay tuned to see what I'm doing next. I, I've got some 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 things brewing in the works. I'm, I've been talking to some folks and really figuring out how to you know best serve in this moment um, and how to be the best advocate possible. So you know, I'll keep y'all in the loop. Oh, thank you so much, Soul Sister. You're up next. <laughs> wow, thank you so much uh, to give me uh, the opportunity to. To, to say a few words here uh, when really there has been so much said that it's almost unnecessary, but I do appreciate the, the opportunity. And I just want to thank you again, Ms. Lauren Ashley, for, for joining us today. And I do hope that while it was the first time that it is definitely not the last time, you know, you said something um, important that I think I need to, um, I need to, to, to counter for you. You said, um, you said, you know, thank you for giving you the opportunity to talk about your movement. Well, your movement is our movement. Our platform is your platform. This is the uniqueness of our collective. Um, we choose to advocate for democracy and amplify, you know, good trouble. And and so this this is conscious. This is a conscientious uh, action that we take each and every day. And to find you. Um, uh, you know, I, I hate the circumstances that we had to find you where you, 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 you had to stand on that soapbox and you had to, um, 
you know, pound your fists and, and raise your voice and, and, and demand better for uh, our youth of today. But I'm grateful that we were able to witness it. And I, you know, I want to thank Dawn. I, I think you, it was your tweet that um, I saw that that alerted me to it. And thank you so much for, uh, you know, introducing her to our community and um, inspiring uh, her as a guest today and, and, and D for doing it and, and taking the action and bringing her to us because it has been um, amazing and, and a welcome addition um, because like I said, there are many times where, you know, you know, you're not alone, but um, it is really refreshing to not just know that you're not alone, but to also even be able to, to have this interaction with this voice that, like captured our attention and 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 did so much to raise the level of um, of attention about your intention of changing things in in the community and and that is what we are about you know I'm not I'm not one and I know I speak for many people in this space I'm not one to just sit and complain I can't do it it is aggravating to me so I that's not that doesn't change anything and I do think that I attribute that to um my background of working with the union because we are you know the about action uh, complaining is okay because you do need to get out what the issues and grievances are so you know what you're fighting for and and um where you're trying to go what you don't want to see anymore and what you want to demand um better for but action is where um it is a step that not many people take so whether you do it in a political arena or whether you just um uh continue to build your platform uh and and amplify things and we will be here to support you in whatever those endeavors are um i do hope that this is the beginning of a great relationship um because you know uh, united we are much stronger so anytime we can grow our community and um, build a, a greater coalition is an opportunity that we do not miss out on and that we, we always embrace. And so uh, your words today, um, you, many people have, have, have said similar things, but it was the way you said it. It was how I felt when you said it. And um, you are the voice for people who are voiceless um, and and that's okay. Some of them um, don't have, like, uh, you know, someone else said, someone, some of them aren't as anointed um, with the gift of being able to to, to be an, uh, an orator. And that's okay because you're more than just an orator. You're also guiding people and you're um, giving people an opportunity and a path to, to uh, building better communities and, uh, you know, strengthening the education that is... Uh, you know, it's basically the future of our youth, which is very, very important and which is exactly what they're trying to destroy. So I, I'm going to just, you know, be on my selfish uh, moment here and, and say, please keep in touch. You know, we don't want this to be a one-off. We don't want this to be a one-time opportunity. Um, and, and that's not to say that you always have to come back and speak, but just please keep in touch with the community and let us know how we can better help you. And um, uh, 
you know, making sure that we're all working towards the same goal, because um, right now democracy is really at stake. And I know we've said it a million times. And you know what? We're going to say it a million more because that is how tenuous it is right now. You know, um, I live in a blue state currently, but that blue state is it's amazing that it is even blue because we are in a sea of red. That was just hard work, dedication and some good old grassroots getting on the get get really getting into the fight and that's what it's going to take and so um that's what it's going to take each and every election each and every time um someone tries to pass a a, a piece of legislation that is uh damaging and oppressive to our communities we are going to have to get into the fight and get dirty and um and whether that means writing a letter whether that means um making a phone call, whether that means sending postcards, whether that means knocking on doors or um, attending a rally or uh, definitely the most important one is, you know, being at that ballot box. We have to make sure that we get out there and we advocate for democracy each and every day. And I just want to thank you for being in this fight and for, uh, you know, just being a beacon of hope for, for so many people. And now I've gone on and that's okay too. And we, I never want you to apologize because, um, you know, everything you say is necessary. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Miss D. Thank you so much for Advocacy Arena because I'm telling you right now, it is saving our democracy. It is changing lives, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys um, just fill me with joy every time I have an opportunity to gather with you guys. And uh, as you said, there, you know, so many people have spoken and said uh, precisely the things that needed to be said. So I am not going to repeat those things. I'm just going to say I want to thank each and every one of you, especially you, Lauren Ashley, for joining us today. And as So Sister said, don't be a stranger. You don't always have to speak, but you're always free to speak here. You can come and join us. Uh, maybe you can't stay the whole time, but, you know, a short time. Um, and even when you can't, because I can't tell you the number of DMs I get from people. I'm not going to be able to make it today or I can't stay long today or I won't be able to speak today. Um, it's a great community and we just stay in touch because we all have um, the importance of saving our democracy in common. And we all understand that it is going to take all of us, which is why I am consistent with the work that I do here and the way that I advocate. I uh, have a lot of strong advocacy around certain issues. Education certainly is one of them. Um, but I know that uh, without a democracy, it won't matter. So first and foremost, I advocate for democracy. And then I go down my line. Uh, and education is right up there next. Because as Lauren Ashley said, an uneducated populace, who does it serve? And, you know, I, I remind you guys all the time that this is what um, the Nazis did. They they went straight to uh, the education system, to the youth, because they knew that they could capture them. Even if they couldn't capture the older people, there are stories 
um, when you start, you know, looking into uh, the history of, of Nazism and just, you know, finding and digging down into stories, there are stories about how um, that worked for them because the, the children were going to school getting indoctrinated with the Nazi indoctrination. The parents at home knew what was going on and there was tension brewing in households. And Hitler heard of these things and he knew it and he left because he knew what he was doing was working because he knew those parents were old and dying or he could, you know, get rid of them. But he had a ready, strong, indoctrinated youth, not only to espouse and buy into his ideology, but to fight for him, too, because they became the fodder uh, on the front lines. You know, they did away with the Boy Scouts. And um, so I just want us to just be ever aware, as I know most of you are, to always do as much as we can to support those advocates and democracy warriors like Lauren Ashley, uh, who are out there on the front lines for us. And, and just remind you all that, you know, um, you know, I'll read our closeout, but the struggle is a lifetime and it is uh, incumbent upon every generation to do their part to ensure that democracy remains. And I put a graphic that I had made from a quote from Nan uh, Nelson Mandela about education being uh, the most powerful tool to change the world. Okay. And um, that is also just something to think about in all of the um, assaults that are going on um, against our education system here in America. And again, I just want to thank you all, remind you that the space is recorded, to share it, and, you know, remind you to, to come and join us again next week. And thank you for all the noise, the good trouble you're making to, to keep it up. Oh, one thing that I forgot to, I, I tweeted about it, but I didn't mention it in the space, that our Justin Jones here locally in... Um, uh, at Fisk University, where SNCC had their training classes, is now been called to teach a class uh, called Good Trouble 101. So, Miss um, D might go back to school, y'all. So, <laughs> I love that. And I just think that's just a wonderful thing. And we're just going to have to be as determined in the fight for our democracy uh, to save it as they are um, to destroy it. And we're going to have to find as many ways, tools, people, organizations to do it just as they are. Like they have these front groups destroying education and they are astroturf groups. We can create genuine grass right, uh, grassroots groups to do the same thing. We have to do the same things that they are doing to destroy democracy in order to save it. And there are fortunately a lot of growing um, groups, grassroots groups in different areas that are directly confronting and combating uh, Moms for Liberty. And what I find a lot of times is because when they hold control in these GOP trifectas, they can just, they no longer need the consensus of their constituents. They can just, you know, push out edicts and do whatever they want. And when they are called on it, say going to the state legislature or going to a town hall meeting where they are confronted face to face with their constituents, 
uh, they're usually left a little speechless. Uh, they don't have much response. And a lot of times they end up kind of running away and hiding. Like Marsha Blackburn has not done a live town hall since her last um, election. Because uh, remember uh, that during her last election, I tell you guys the story that um, Justin Jones went there. He was at the time a divinity student at Vanderbilt and she threw him out. He wasn't doing anything, no holding, no signs, just sitting there. And she had her security escort him out. Um, and, you know, so they they run away when they're confronted, but we absolutely have to continue this press. So I just want to say keep making noise um, and good trouble. And um, let's um, work to build those coalitions. And sometimes it's going to require some uncomfortable coalitions. We don't have to be in love with everyone that we work with to save our democracy. But, you know, we can all love democracy and the work um, that is required to save it. We can get on the same bandwagon as that, because I think Lauren Ashley spoke to that. Um, like sometimes these situations make strange bedfellows and we need to, you know, make bedfellows with folks who are interested in saving democracy, because the same thing is true like around education that is true around gun violence there are people who are conservative who are Repu who don't like some of the things that are being done and we have to speak to that and so this space that we hold every week is an opportunity for us to speak to it to get inspired by one another to have strategies uh, to confront it so i just want to thank you guys for gathering here with soul sister and i today and you lauren ashley for being our guest today and we again hope that it will not be the last time you definitely have a home here and much love and we're i wish everyone a great rest of the week as i close out with these wonderful, inspiring words from John Lewis. Do not get lost in a sea of despair. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. So I love all of you good troublemakers, and I am wishing you all a great rest of the day and a wonderful week ahead. Keep making noise, keep fighting, and I'm going to leave you all with peace and blessings. Bye, everybody. Thank y'all again.